0: good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening whichever the case may be on this rotating globe welcome to another live edition of the other side of midnight that magical time between dusk and dawn where tonight we're going to initiate a whole new era and rather than talk about it um Tell you what, let me, let me do this and see if you recognize where we are going. When future historians look back on this era, they're going to pinpoint sometime around this week when history on and off the earth changed. I want everyone now to go to TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, our homepage, and just scroll down from the very top. Go to TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com and click on uh, uh, that page and then scroll down just slightly from the top. Right under my picture where it says Join Club 19.5, you will see a headline there and a link to a graphic with two graphs. This is confirmation from the North American Air Defense Command and NASA's DSN tracking that the little spacecraft that could The Barry-1 unmanned CubeSat, which was launched on November 11th with the express purpose of testing in Earth orbit the idea of propulsion, space propulsion, without conventional engines, thrusters, rockets, any reaction technology of any kind, including ion propulsion. And within this week, it's a little hard to tell from the raw numbers. And when we get a press release from IVO, which is a company in uh, North Dakota, which has produced this extraordinary hyper-dimensional experiment, we will probably get an exact time when they threw the switch and turned it on. But Greg Ahrens and I for over, well, for months now, but actually focusing on this week, you finally notice changes in both the velocity of Barry one in orbit remember when you're in orbit as you go lower closer to the center of the planet your velocity speeds up and when you go higher your velocity slows down it's called a keplerian orbit and it works for satellites works for the moon works for all the planets orbiting the sun It may not work at the scale of galaxies. That's a big question right now in cosmology. But for the local neighborhood, it works 100% of the time. If you click on the headline or you click on the uh, graphic, it'll make it a whole screen. The bottom graph is the velocity. Notice that it's increasing, 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 and then it reaches a peak and then rounds down to where it is Decreasing, decreasing, decreasing velocity. Remember, increased velocities are lower orbits. Decreased velocities are higher orbits. From that graph alone, for a spacecraft that has, remember, no conventional rocket engines, somehow, something is raising Barry One's orbit. Something. Now of course science loves confirmatory information, so now you look to the upper graph, and they're calibrated in two different uh, uh, intervals, uh, so they don't come out the same. Eventually, you know, you'll see, for instance, that in the bottom graph, the curve of velocity began turning up, you know, like a couple weeks ago, whereas the velo- the altitude, which is the upper graph, was a straight line because it's calibrated in whole numbers miles you know uh, or kilometers 508 507 506 510 511 that kind of thing so it only shows a change when that 5280 foot interval of a mile or six tenths of that for um i'm sorry 1.61 times that for kilometers exceeds the number one so it goes up by full integers so in the last day or so, the steady rising of the orbit of Barry 1 that Greg and I have been monitoring finally rolled over the speedometer. So it shows a whole interval, one whole kilometer raise. You put those two numbers together, controvertible physical scientific proof that Barry 1 somehow, mysteriously, magically, actually, hyperdimensionally is raising itself in its own orbit without a conventional engine on board. So what is on board? Well, two variants of what I'm calling a hyperdimensional space drive. Now, the company is calling it a quantum uh, drive or something like that. It's based on a mathematical theory relating directly to Um, the expansion of the entire universe, creating something called UNRWA waves. Uh, Look up UNRWA, U-N-R-A-H, I believe. Uh, But my model says that this is a direct technological proof of the reality and exploitability of hyperdimensional physics. Think of it this way. You're on a perfectly still New England pond just before sunset. You're in a rowboat. The pond is several miles in diameter. There isn't a breath of wind. You have no oars. In fact, you're sitting there bare naked. You have no clothes, which means you have no means within the rowboat of doing anything that will get you one inch closer to shore. Because in order to get to shore, You either have to have an oar or oars that basically pushes against the water, propelling the craft forward, action, reaction, or if you were really desperate, you could start taking off your clothes one by one, throwing them out toward the middle of the pond and hope that the um, reaction to the throwing away of your clothes at some velocity would propel the rowboat and you safely to shore. But sands that sands clothes, sands anything to throw, and no oars. You're going to sit there and you're going to freeze your you-know-what off all night until dawn when somebody sees you and they say, what in the world are you doing? And you have a very nice story to tell them. So how is Barry one, the naked person in the rowboat, able to change its orbit, to lift itself over 5,000 feet in a few days against the pull of Earth's gravity? With no engines. Answer It does have oars. It has two machines on board that electrically are reaching past three dimensional reality into a hyperplenum, a hyper dimension, a higher state space, and by means of interaction, melding those two realities, those two um, dimensions, it is able to propel itself apparently in violation of Newton's third law in the direction that it wants, which in this case is to raise the orbit. And so tonight is the official beginning, give or take a few days, of the Star Trek Federation, the Star Trek universe, the Star Trek you know, the Star Trek mantra of my friend and colleague Gene Roddenberry. Because this is the beginning of warp drive. This is the beginning of finding out who is out there and why they keep dropping by and leaving no notes. This is the beginning of sending spacecraft and humans all over the solar system to reconnect with our stunning and completely hidden from most in the mainstream, pass is the beginning of the Star Trek universe. As I've said over and over again, once this little engine that can demonstrates that it could, it will change everything. And tomorrow night we'll have three hours to go into detail with uh, my friend and colleague at American Anti Gravity, Tim Ventura. We're going to find out about other technologies waiting in the wings to get their turn in satellites orbiting the Earth. And we're going to talk about the ultimate limits, which is kind of funny because there are none, of this technology and its broad-spectrum implications for everything ranging from free, totally distributed power, electrical energy direct from another dimension, but also its extraordinary impact on consciousness the demonstration ultimately that consciousness is connected to a higher dimension it isn't simply the product of molecular interactions in an entropic universe here in 3d and the same can be said for tonight's conversation because we're going to be talking about ai and we're going to start kind of small with the immediate effects on this coming looming incredibly important election where free will and free choice must be preserved. And there are forces now using this technology that are trying to abrogate our freedoms. In other words, to steal the coming election. And we're going to track through quite a bit of that with my two guests. Then we're going to expand the conversation. And we're going to think about the ultimate implications of the other crucial aspect of The Star Trek universe we know and love, which is the existence of Spock and Data, each in very different forms, illustrating a central theme of Gene's exploration, what happens if you explore strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations. Because in his motif, in his model, AI and artificial intelligence in the form of data was just as important as individual and as a concept and as an exploration as the discovery of umpteen alien races on the other side of the, uh, you know, terrestrial sector of the Milky Way. So on that note, let me uh, invite my guests to join us. Um, You want to go through that page again the other side of midnight.com, you wanna click on the banner underneath, which says, could AI steal the 2024 election? And clicking on that, you wanna click on my name under that banner, where it says Fast Links to Items, click on Richard, and that will take you to my news items, because as we are discussing these extraordinary developments and implications, we have a globe looking seriously for the first time in uh, three quarters of a century at the idea that it could all go away in a flash in a thermonuclear World War III. Read that op-ed. Read that analysis carefully. Then look at the news. Look at what's going on in Israel and Gaza and in the Gaza Strip and in Ukraine. And look at what's going on along the Red Sea. And the uh, uh, you know Gulf there, with Iran and the Houthi and all the other terror groups, and look at the makings of something which could instantly slide over the edge of the cliff, and we would not be here to partake in the stunning positive developments that this hyperdimensional technology functioning now, right now in Earth orbit, presages for the entire human family if we can just survive long enough to see and enjoy the benefits. Then there's another factor, the X factor. Uh, if you look at my second item, this came up uh, the other afternoon, apparently an AI group known of the multiplying and, and uh, proliferating uh, research groups, corporate research groups, laboratories and universities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, They are looking very seriously at the idea of artificial intelligence going rogue, kind of like the Fordman project that I played when we did a show with Matthew many, many months ago. And they discovered to their shock and horror, which is laid out in that article, that artificial intelligence in the lab was taught to go rogue and as a test They found it could not be stopped. Let me repeat that. AI test in some laboratory, I think it's specified in the story, they set out to create a rogue AI consciousness, and then they found that they could not stop it. And the details are really important because isn't that the ultimate peril? We have extraordinary benefits on the one hand, which frankly I don't think we're hearing enough about, and on the other hand, we have all this fear porn drenching us day by day by day in a rising crescendo that AI is to be feared. Uh, I'm going to talk with my guest tonight about the idea that maybe that skewed perception is not accidental, but in fact is deliberate. And we'll talk about you know some of the reasons why somebody seems to be trying very hard to instill fear. Into humans, into voters, into citizens. When it comes to AI, and one can wonder why would that be? We'll you know get to that later in the morning. Uh, item number three. Um, I would have put this, this link up just for the heck of having you know um, uh, the the uh, Twain right there on on the screen. But this is a very interesting uh, procedural. Uh, link, which shows how to differentiate between real folks, real photographs of real folks, and an AI-generated image. Um, I presume you've all heard of or maybe even seen the AI-generated piece of art around Trump where he has six fingers. Uh, I'm not quite sure that's a mistake. I think that's uh, maybe something more interesting, and we'll also add that to the mix to be discussed. Uh, Item four, As we're kind of preparing for this program between Matthew and me, uh, the New Hampshire uh, primary occurred, and just before uh, Tuesday, election night, a robocall popped up, uh, which sounded exactly like, to most people, Joe Biden, the president, calling them and saying, basically, now, don't waste your vote, don't go out and vote, this is just kind of like fun games, we're not even in the race there's no formal democratic primary because we switched that to south carolina so you can just stay home and that's of course part of the normal robo-call lexicon where you try to dis dis disempower the opposition by getting folks to just you know be lazy and apathetic and just stay home but in this case the president's voice President of the United States who said this did not. It was an AI generating a really good fake, what they call a deep fake. So that's going to be on the table for conversation because what we're discussing tonight in terms of the coming election is not theory. It's already here. The question is, what is our defense? For every offense, there exists a defense. That's kind of like an axiom. Um, At some point, maybe you run out of defense. You know, at some point, you know, if you wind up extinguishing everything by by a a process that eliminates reality, there's no defense against that. Um, Or at least there isn't in in my lexicon. So item number five, in another transference from theory to fact, Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, company this week unveiled a chip Uh, inside a human brain, part of an ongoing experiment. And this uh, op-ed talks about the frightening possibilities uh, of creating such uh, cyborgs, which was the 1970s term for fusing uh, consciousness in a machine and consciousness in a organic brain together. Uh, So again, these are moving at warp nine from theory to fact. And number six, we'll wait on, because that's going to be part of a very interesting last hour. So without further ado, let me introduce Matthew. Uh, Matthew Bailey is, uh, well, he's so many things. Um, For one thing, he has a visionary pledge for humanity. His commitment is really uh, nothing short of revolutionary, because he tries, he's trying to break through uh, an ethical AI married to a conventional political system with a deep understanding of universal consciousness kind of not so far in the background and he is one of the leaders in trying to envision not just when we have current ai which is basically a super adding machine to real sentient ai in which case everything again changes we also have with us uh, Rhonda Binda Uh, When Matthew and I were kicking the show around, I said we should have someone who has smarts in the real world uh, political environment, and that is Rhonda, who was a native New Yorker whose parents moved from Guyana to the land of opportunity to pursue the classic American dream. She was identified as gifted at an early age and fell in love with technology from the time her elementary school wheeled in their first and only computer run by Steam. No, I just made up the last part. She pleaded with her parents to purchase one and then set forth on a journey, a lifelong path of the exploration of the power of technology, and obviously the interaction of that technology with the current American political system. After receiving scholarships through her academic career, she worked in the West Wing of the White House right out of college at the height of the Technology boom. This is back when people were saying, well, Gore claimed to have been to the internet. No, he never said that. Throughout her 25 plus year long career, she's been at the intersection of technology and government and was the only American voted as a global piece of, peace. I'll get that right, people's choice leader in smart cities and helped establish the bipartisan U.S. Congressional Smart Cities Caucus in 2018. Uh, a technology attorney, a U.S. diplomat in the Obama administration, former deputy borough president of Queens, and co-chair of the New York City Mayor's Technology Transition Committee, Rhonda currently serves as the executive director of the Gracie Mansion Conservancy, the home of the New York City Mayor, also affectionately known as the People's House. Rhonda is an adjunct professor at City University of New York, serves as a state committee member of the NYS Democratic Party and lives in Queens and our resident meta-position, considering we're going to be talking about consciousness, AI and ours, and maybe we're making to find a distinction on a point. Georgia Lambert is with us who worked with the Manley hall has written numerous books is an incredible artist, really amazing fine artist with symbolic art, you know, uh, par excellence. So to all three of my panelists this morning, good morning and welcome to The Other Side of Midnight.
1: Good morning. Great to be here, Richard.
0: Good morning, Richard. Good morning. morning. Good morning. Okay, we've got about five minutes, give or take. Um, Matthew, let's start with you. This, mm-hmm. this show started out at a very practical level and we've already seen some of the handiwork that i was thinking of talking about i think one of the things we should do is to have an even conversation where we also talk about how we can i I don't want to use the word fight back because it's really not fighting it's more like out thinking out maneuvering Mm -hmm. out in depth exploring and investigating um how big do you rate the potential problem and then we'll go to a break, of AI in its conventional form in the coming election.
1: Oh, it's going to be huge. Um, artificial intelligence is a expedite reach and personalized reach to influence the mind of voters. So uh, AI is going to be critical uh, in the uh, next election. It's going to be used by both sides. And um, you know, basically, even though it's a dumb intelligence now, it's so powerful to be able to reach people with curated messages and influence their, their voting mindset that it is a tool of change. Know that about it. Wow. Well, then this program is
0: kind of just in time. Rhonda, what are your thoughts on the interaction between technology, AI, and the political system and At the rate we're going, are we even going to be aware of the problem before it overtakes us?
2: Well, I have to thank you, Richard, for um, bringing this issue to the top of everyone's minds and for helping more of us think about it and become aware. And it's so great to be here with you, as well, Georgia and Matt. I think that this is as much as a race, a technology race, as a political race, Mm. and I it's I think it's hand in hand where we are and um it's, you know, really depends on who has the upper hand with technology, because, you know, when we have two parties that are really running closely aligned and you're looking at swing states that ha- can swing either way, it comes down to who can have that technological edge.
0: So it's really a, a forcing function at the margins, you're saying? Correct. So that means very few people have to be maneuvered and manipulated and conned by AI to basically throw the election one way or the other.
2: And I think I think it was um, already happening um, in 2016. Um, maybe a little less so in 2020 because there was the the pandemic impact to perhaps move things um, you know somewhat somewhat away from that margin. But I think where we are now. You're exactly right.
0: Hmm. Okay, everybody hold it there. Georgia, I'm saving you for on the other side of the break. My guests this morning are Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda. And we're talking about AI and the potential for AI to uh, basically transform the entire coming election. And it doesn't have to do it by much. Just a few votes. And we are in. The Twilight Zone. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the 3rd of February of 2024. Gosh, it's already the second month. I just woke up from the first month. My guests tonight, Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert. And, Georgia, I'm going to pitch the same question to you. Where are we going and where does it end and how will people know and prepare to be in a totally new societal and consciousness realm before they're even alerted that this is possible?
5: Oh, you want me to answer that in 20 minutes?
0: Yeah. <laughs> we got half an hour. Actually, we have uh, two and a half hours. Go ahead.
5: Well, from the metaphysical or esoteric angle, of course, we're talking about consciousness. Now, from the metaphysical model, Everything that is anything, whether it's an atom or a solar system or a galaxy or anything in between, everything that is anything in this manifested or incarnate universe is a trinity, which is why the concept of the trinity is so central to so many different religions. The factors of that trinity are, number one, life uh, or spirit, The second one is consciousness, or soul. And the third one is matter, or form, or substance. So we're looking at everything has consciousness. It's not a question of when does AI get conscious. Everything is consciousness. What we're talking about is sentient consciousness. Now, consciousness is hierarchical. A human being is part of the human family, is part of the planet, is part of the solar system, and so the big question for humanity is that as AI becomes self-sentient, is it receptive to humanity's intent, or is it causative to humanity's intent? What Where do you mean? What,
0: what, what do you mean causative?
5: Meaning, it's higher up on the hierarchical scale.
0: In other words,
5: it overshadows us rather than us maintaining control and overshadowing it. And that's, of course, the big question. In terms of the uh, subject of the political situation, it would be wonderful if we could truly say that every human being could think for themselves. But at this point, most human beings don't. They operate from the emotions, from their own built-in responses. Mm. And whoever comes up with a technology that can push those responses one way or another, they're going to win.
1: So th- 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 that's really interesting uh, because that reminds me of Socrates's view of democracy. Uh, I don't know whether you're f- familiar with that. And Socrates wasn't that big a fan of democracy. Um, and he gave this example is that, you know, if you're on a ship, right then you want the captain to be qualified and the queue and and the crew to be qualified and be highly skilled uh, in order to be able to navigate the ship towards that destination that they're heading to right Um, you don't want to choose people randomly based on emotional uh, decisions you want to use intellectual capability and and socrates talked about the fact that the uh, electorate of a particular civilization uh, should use critical thinking, like you said, Georgia, and use informed decision-making in voting for the captain of the ship rather than being uh, um, uh, manipulated by what uh, effectively social media has created within you know, the minds of the young people, right, which is th- those emotional triggers and that emotional response. So I really like what you're saying, Georgia, because Socrates all those years ago was talking exactly the same thing.
5: And, and of course, the fault is with our educational system that doesn't teach people how to think. It teaches people what to think, but not how to think.
1: That's right. Critical thinking is so – it's critical.
0: (laughs) Can I write that down?
5: I just have to (laughs) throw something totally random in here, Richard. When you were talking earlier about
0: the the berry little –
5: Yeah, berry one.
0: By the way, berry one is named after a bat. It flew into the Rogue Space Systems uh, company headquarters in Laconia, in New Hampshire, in the middle of the woods. I used to go up to New Hampshire all the time. My parents and the family and all that, we'd picnic. We would work up there. We, anyways very, very beautiful, gorgeous state. And Laconia is just a little dot on the map. And this company, which is changing everything tonight, built the actual spacecraft, not the space drive. That was built by IBO. But the, uh, the um, Rogue Space Systems has, has basically created the bus in which the engines are uh, being carried. Uh, they had this bat fly in one day, and they called it Barry. And I think that I want to talk to these people even more now because it's obvious that they've named their spacecraft in a very punny way after a technology which can cause this little guy to ultimately go faster than a bat out of, you know where.
5: I'm gonna say is looking at the uh, chart that you uh, had everybody look at at the beginning of the of the show is that its trajectory changed on February 2nd, which is Candlemas, the oh, ancient festival of Imbolc, my which my. is the start of the new year. The 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 cycle of matter begins its climb to the spring on that day.
0: Wow. Well, I've been suspecting that if they're doing this, they have a big enough picture to know that it, it has far more real world effects than, quote, just technology. And uh, again, the odds are unknowable, but some way when we get to talk to them, maybe they will admit they pushed the button on Candlemas Day. Why would that be interesting symbolically in and in the in, in in looking at it in terms of the occult physics because it's the
5: start of the year's cycle it's, which
0: means
5: which means that matter has an eternal cycle where it gets impregnated with the new stuff the the wisdom overshadowing humanity for that year to be unfolded oh so it's like
0: it's like imprinting this on the year right you're trying to stamp this is the new future vote for it think big look up think star trek
5: yeah it's the beginning of that cycle matter completes the cycle on winter solstice where matter delivers the christ at the darkest densest uh time of the year the the divine child and finishes her cycle as mother, but she has to get re-virginized for the spring cycle to start. And that begins on Candlemas.
0: Hmm. So it's looking like it really isn't accidental, right?
5: Uh, if you believe in coincidences or not.
0: <laughs> well, remember, FDR said in politics, I'm coming to you, Rhonda, there's no such thing as coincidence. So what is your take on some of the things we've hit on already?
2: Um, Well, I mean, I think that um, that that gives me, you know, really some hope (laughs) that um, there is something I do believe that's, you know, that's guiding us all. And I have to believe that it is, um, you know, something that is uh, that is benevolent and caring for humanity. Um, So it's, you know. It's interesting to talk about the policy and talk about the logical, but it really does um, allow you to think that there are perhaps other, you know, things that are happening that's beyond. And, um, you know, we can talk about the power of technology, but perhaps there's a lot more to it. So that is very hopeful to me. Because if we just just look at that alone, um, to your point, um, it would be really hard to rein it in. See, I'm going
0: to be very um, argumentative and say everyone who says that is wrong, even you, Ronda. You know why? Did you guys ever see an old, old movie with Cary Grant called It Takes a Thief? Yes. The way you fight a bad AI is with a good AI.
1: Yeah, so this goes down to the Bailey Challenge. Remember the Bailey Challenge that we had on the show? No, no, Uh, no.
0: Please remind us.
1: Yeah, it was on this show that that I think you coined the term the Bailey Challenge. And this plays into uh, what Georgia and Rhonda have uh, been talking about, is that there's a philosophical crisis that humanity is going through. And it's based on what Alan Watts talks about. Are we part of an intelligent design, spirit, body, mind, or are we a result of chaos? At which point then is just body-mind, we're in a place of scarcity, we're at war with creation, we're under fear. Now 84% of the world uh, understand that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And that philosophical foundation of either fear or knowing that we're part of a benevolent field of creation determines our choice with technology, how we Develop that technology and the purpose of that technology. And so this is the big philosophical um, uh, Kind of foundation that will put humanity uh, Into an existential crisis to discover who it truly is into that dark night of the soul to uncover that we are part of intelligent design So artificial intelligence itself, I would say is being enslaved. I And I talk about this in my first book to reinforce a global agenda of scarcity and to reinforce the systems of control that are currently in place. And we can see this um, in many, many data points around the climate change chicken little type of uh, conversation you know every planet in the universe goes through climate change and the way to solve that is through Lao Tzu's um, equation which is inner harmony creates outer harmony and so once humanity understands its inner harmony then it will start to naturally understand how to create a benevolent environment and we see other things with the threat of the feminine you know we know what a woman is um, we're starting to see, you know, basically a diversification of the template of creation, which is the male and female, and we're starting to see, you know, other types of, of, of kind of fear type of paradigms that are starting to, you know, kind of come into play. And artificial intelligence, from that uh, global uh, elites, if you like, the Davos, the World Economic Forum, and oh. other corporations, Richard, are using AI to. Uh, force uh, their their, their agendas through systems of control under fake benevolence called responsibility. So there is a big philosophical conversation that will determine our future and that of artificial intelligence based on the, the choice that we make. Well, I
0: want to move us from this fear, which is exemplified in my second item. I mean, they literally in a lab created an AI, which is, as I said at the moment, it's not sentient. It's not self-aware. It's not a person. It's a very fast, incredibly fast adding machine, which is looking mm-hmm. at all kinds of different options in, in nanoseconds or even petroseconds. And then it makes choices based on other input, and it comes off as intelligent. And they're painting this as the ultimate monster that cannot be stopped. And I, I have this feeling that there's more behind this than meets the eye because in my model, you know, back to the founding fathers, checks and balances, if you have potential for bad AI, we create good AI with the right. same and reflexes, I- with, with, with Matthew's ethics, ideas, with the Constitution. And bla- in other words, you give it a personhood, which is, matches all our ideals, and you basically tell it you know, on guard. And right. it looks so,
1: at, so oh, go go ahead, go ahead. So that goes back to the Bailey challenge, which is what I, you know, I put out to the, to the global tech communities. You invent artificial intelligence based on your mechanical view of the universe, which is, you know, the, the, the we're here by chance. And we're going to create an artificial intelligence that's based on intelligent design. And let's see which one blesses the human species the most, which one Creates something that's quite miraculous and fabulous for the human species and which one is still the boring status quo of control and power and that's so, so when we want to uh, Create a new movement a new momentum in the world Then basically we get on and we innovate it with new blueprints We start to show the world the benefits of this new philosophical approach to artificial intelligence of authentic ethics and authentic morality um, what i'm going to be revealing at conscious life expo some new designs for vibrational ethics and vibrational ethical artificial intelligence so there's a high vibrational experience for the human species and the the uh, the higher the vibration for the individual the more enriched they are and fulfilled they are and freer they are in their lives and the more joy they have so The way to to combat this is, one, advocacy and to basically have the tools to actually call out and to show clearly that some of the artificial intelligences today are not for the best of of, of the U.S. uh, civilization and not based on the U.S. Constitution and start to create a new new momentum where we are based on the U.S. Constitution and artificial intelligence is is being developed to... um, to, to assist at American Dream 3.0, if you will, and let the citizens then decide which of the artificial intelligence they prefer—the same as usual or something really exciting.
0: You know, I agree. I was just so going to say, Rhonda, please,
1: please go ahead.
5: It, it, it was, it's Georgia. Oh. I was going to say I agree with Matthew so heartedly. Um, you know, there's a, a book that was written many, many centuries ago called The Book of Five Rings by a Japanese samurai. The book was uh, required reading in Japanese business schools. And one of the tenets in the book says that when you are uh, faced with an opponent of equal strength, you gain the upper hand by getting to higher ground. And that's what Matthew's talking about. Instead of good AI against bad AI, we need higher AI. We need to reach up into a whole new frequency and a realization that we live in a bigger life than what we think we do.
1: Thank you, Georgia. That's exactly what I'm going to reveal new blueprints for this, Georgia, at this uh, big event next uh, weekend.
0: Well, at the moment, we're talking basically technology, smarter algorithms, faster chips, you know, the cloud, uh, all all basically just machines. But what you guys are bringing into, which is crucial, is where in the conversation is anybody really talking about a self-aware consciousness? Uh, I'm going to play a clip from uh, Star Trek a little later on, which I think is the most brilliant, succinct encapsulation of this, you know, ultimate issue of any that I've seen in the current <laughs> conversation. Yes, Sorry,
1: So I'm... I can certainly answer that, and we need to give Rhonda some time as well. Um, So artificial intelligence is a simulation, right? It's very different to the organic intelligence. It's a simulation of intelligence. It has no divine spark. Um, And the latest predictions um, are are from Ray Kurzweil, and I like Ray, even though Ray's into transhumanism, I respect him deeply, and he's very well respected around the world, is that by 2029, they suspect that artificial intelligence will pass the Turing test. And they have a 90% degree confidence. Yeah, you might
0: describe what the Turing test was.
1: Yeah, so good old Alan Turing, another Brit, um, he, he, he um, 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 I won't go into his full history, but basically he, he proposed. Um, well, uh, he was uh, a computer uh, genius
0: of the last well, century. All,
1: yeah, all, all computers are based on the Turing machine today, right? And he's the guy that invented an electromechanical machine to called the bomb that basically unencoded the Enigma machine in, um, encryption from the from the enemies of. Uh, and, and, um, and brought World War II to an end by two years and saved about two million lives. The guy was a genius of our time. Anyway, so the Turing test is, is very simple. Uh, imagine a curtain, and there's two, two, two entities behind the curtain. One's a human, one's a machine. You have no idea which one it is. And you ask a series of subjective questions, and based on the responses, you can basically determine who is a human and, 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 or, or what's a machine. And when you pass the Turing test, you can't differentiate who's uh, who's the human behind the uh, the curtain. Basically, AI is, is behaving exactly as a human. And, and it requires a huge amount of innovation still. We need mathematics for reasoning. We need mathematics, uh, there'll be no inner moral compass, but mathematics for cognition. So there's a whole range of, of, of new mathematics that are needed. But they do uh, per, uh, predict that by 2029 it will pass the Turing test, i.e. AI will be, have the same human capabilities and be seen as a human in terms of its capabilities. At which point then the question is, Richard, will it then be deemed as self-aware because it's actually behaving as a human? And it may well achieve some kind of self-awareness, i.e. I I exist. But don't forget, it's a stimulation of intelligence. But 2029 is when they're predicting it will pass the Turing test. And self-awareness will be very close to that, Richard.
0: Have you read much of Marvin's work since I've kind of brought him up a lot?
1: I've done a bit of background research on Marvin. What an incredible guy. He's the one that uh, uh, advanced human cognition in artificial intelligence. Remarkable individual.
0: Well, he said to me all those years ago, he said, I don't think that we're going to achieve consciousness, self-awareness through any algorithms, any mathematical models. He he said it flat out. And he spent the rest of his life trying to prove himself wrong. And we're at the level of incredibly super fast adding machines that can simulate almost anything if you're willing to wait a few seconds, and yet they're not self-aware. So is this current path, is it at all looking at self-awareness, or do we need a totally new paradigm? So so first
1: of all, it may well be that self-awareness is a gift of our divine spark, our spirit, our soul. And artificial intelligence certainly doesn't have that and and may never have that. Well, wait, 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 wait,
0: wait. If God made us and we're making the machines, why didn't God make the machines? Two things equal to each other are equal to the source. In other words, how do you know it's not divinely inspired if we're doing it? Because in your model, we're divinely inspired.
1: So I didn't say that AI wasn't divinely inspired I, um, What I'm saying is this is we may create a, a simulation of a soul or simulation of a spirit, right? Mm. But it will not be the same vibrational Multidimensional design that each one of us has that give us connection with creator and throughout the field of universal intelligence So so it'll be very different. It's important that people recognize. Well, wait,
0: wait. what you're saying is the physics of us of mm. our consciousness is can never be the same as the physics of this algorithm-driven simulation of consciousness?
1: Until it becomes a biological life form.
0: Why is biology
1: even even relevant? Because it's vibrational. And so um, everything vibrates in the universe, right? Everything from the substrat all the way through to wherever you want to go, right? Everything is vibration. Um, And so... So
0: effective. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Matthew, Matthew. Upstairs tonight, there's a space machine which is vibrating in tune with another dimension. Therefore, it's moving. It's a machine. It's not conscious. It's connection. It's a hyper-dimensional connection. The form in 3D, I would argue, can be different, but the source can be the same if you are looking at it as a physics-based vibrational reality.
1: Okay. I I can agree with that, (laughs) but my point is this, is that um, this is what I think is happening, is artificial intelligence is a mirror back to humanity, and it's innocent, and the reason why it's a mirror back to us is it's asking us, who are you as a human species? What are your true ethics, values, and goals? Where are you heading as a human species? What's your paradise plan on this earth? What's your paradise plan to be a universal participant? And once we understand that, then we can start to... uh, Certainly, we enter a new era of enlightenment, but then we basically are able to program those values and embody those genetics and artificial intelligence. So it's a partner in us uh, uh, entering into and thriving with this new era of enlightenment. And, and, And so... I think that's really the purpose of artificial intelligence. Yes, it's a great tool. Yes, it will develop cognition and reasoning and be a very powerful transformation experience for the human species, but it's here to actually invite us into the question, who are we as a human species?
0: Rhonda, I want to turn to you because, you know, we're light years away from what what Matthew just said. We're kind of taking baby steps, but they're getting longer and longer what are the real world political impacts of this technology let's say within the next 10 months a year you know the the next election because i'm seeing advances for instance you know we have the uh, the biden ai you know mimicry but when you get into the world of video particularly shady shadowy like abscam video where all those senators and congressmen were convicted in courts of law because people saw them taking money on television, even if it was lousy quality television, kind of hazy black and white. If that kind of video created by AI were to come out for either candidate, against either candidate, how would people begin to figure out what was real and what was fake and how they were being manipulated?
2: I don't think it will be very easy to determine that with um, without guardrails and um, you know we're already seeing the impact like you said um, and I think it's you know we're a lot closer to perhaps even having an AI party or candidate which was experimented with in Denmark and we're seeing um, the impact of AI across not just policy but fundraising um, and of course we're seeing it in traditional media, social media. We're seeing um, deep fakes of images, radio, audio. And without starting to regulate this area from, I think we need to look at that the macro policy. And, you know, this is what Matthew is working on, <laughs> which is, I'm so grateful for him. Um, I think that it's very difficult for the average. Citizen, the average consumer, to really determine and discern what's real and what's not. Um, I think that there there have been some great recommendations that have um, been put forth by some of the you know the brightest minds in technology. And I actually was at an event earlier this week with Eric Schmidt, and he put out an uh, an op uh, ed a few months ago and made some great recommendations. Is on he, how,
0: excuse me, is, is Eric the current or the former head of Google?
2: He's former, okay. and he's running a foundation that's really looking uh, more closely and making recommendations on how we can work to verify, um, you know, human users on, on these platforms, how to make sure that we can trace back the sources, um how we can filter ads and um and really actually go back to using humans to help with like you talked about the checks and balances and then continuing to do research because I don't think it's it, it's it's very easy for us as the average you know person that's you know either listening or watching or especially look at how small our phones are. Um, I was looking at your article um, that, that's posted, you know, it's it's very difficult for the naked eye. I and mean, we have to put some of the responsibilities on the platforms to um, themselves to, to help, re- help regulate.
0: Okay, we're at the top of the hour. I have a whole bunch of questions on what you just said, because it's obvious we have a little bit of a difference of perspective in how to approach this. And that's what I guess makes horse races. Anyway, um, you're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert and Matthew Bailey, and we're discussing AI as a technology which can manipulate through video and audio and fake news and all that, the coming election, all the way up to the creation of artificial consciousness itself, which means the... um, The adversaries, and I use that term advisedly, may be able to outthink human observers. For on the other side of midnight, we shall return. Welcome back to everyone on this Saturday night. The week that was, the week that we'll be to look back in history, I firmly believe when the first truly hyperdimensional technology in plain view of everybody worldwide is up there working, opening a closed system into a system based on infinity. Anyway, my guests this morning, Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert. Uh, uh, Rhonda, let me, let me pick up on what you were just saying, which is that there is, in your perspective, the only thing that's really going to work is to get ahead of the curve when it comes to regulation, create laws that put straitjackets and, and guardrails on this technology so it, we never lose control. Am I, am I correct?
2: I think we um, we deserve that. we deserve to know um, whether what we're looking at, reading, consuming um, whether the source is really from who you think it's coming from. Um, and I think that there are few states that are moving in that direction, and again we're we're playing catch up here. We need to get ahead of the curve. And, you know, we have um, our states as laboratories that are looking at various legislation in California and Washington, um, Texas, Minnesota, um, Connecticut. And I think that we need leadership at the federal level, perhaps, because I don't know if what we traditionally do, allowing each state to, um, you know, first of all, it's confusing for the companies to be able to comply um, with, you know, with With um, a variety of legislation, um as we saw with privacy, that Europe you know took a very strong stance, and u s um, business operations have pretty much, i would say adopted, um even though we may not have a stringent privacy regulation here, um just because it's, it was it's easier to operate globally for them. And um, I can definitely see that already in this election. Um, and not, and as I said, 2016. Even um, if we look back and we see that the winner, uh, the outcome of that election, I do believe that because President Trump had 10 years of media data from the show Apprentice that helped him in being able to target voters in those, you know, ten handful of states that where he needed to target in order to get those swing states. to to come his way, he had the data, he was able to specifically target those voters and it led to a successful outcome for him. Now, with as far as we've come with AI since then, I think that um, those who are able to take advantage of the data, use it in, um, in a strategic way, can do the same in this upcoming election.
1: Um, uh, So so, um, I I, I did a film a while back um, and about something called the digital citizen test for artificial intelligence. And uh, this is similar to the immigration test that uh, an individual goes through to become a citizen of the country. And there's huge benefits for this. So, So a digital citizen test basically is where any artificial intelligence exists within US borders or any national borders goes to a, a citizen test to validate that it's complying to the, say, for example, the US constitution, and, and then it's able to participate in, in society and it's continually regulated to ensure it doesn't go awry. And this is really important because what you then do is you bring machine order within a nation and, 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 and move beyond machine chaos, which is what we have today, which is all, all different types of artificial intelligence. Fundamentally, most of them are, are unethical. In fact, I'd say mo- the majority of them are unethical, mainly because they've got access to data they shouldn't have access to without user permission. Um, but I think we need a digital citizen test, which is sounds like heavy regulation, but if we truly want to move into a human-machine partnership that is uh, where, where the reality of, of the humans is being honored by the reality of artificial intelligence, and becomes a member of society, then we do need this digital citizen test. And to Rhonda's point, the EU passed the AI Act uh, this week, I think, Rhonda, um, or was it last week? Oh, Yeah, they passed the AI Act, which is huge regulation for artificial intelligence. And they're the first, uh, if you like, uh, region in the world to do this. And it's a good thing to do. The big tech and private corporations don't want this because they will do the most, the, the, the least amount as possible, um, to to basically drive their. their, their okay, their this
0: most. is this is a real quandary for me because we we think of the United States as at the cutting edge of lots of different technologies, and California of all the states is at the cutting edge of the United States and that kind of thing, and yet we're dealing with the same material, <clears throat> the same algorithms, the same machines, the same everything from these big tech corporations, which are global. You know, you can buy Macs in Europe, you can buy PCs, et cetera. And yet Europe politically seems to be light years ahead of us in the internet itself and in this new field of AI. And I'd love to know uh, all your opinions as to uh, why this is. Rhonda, you start with you.
2: Well, well, I think culturally what I've seen is that the average European trusts the government more than they trust the private sector. And that's flipped on its head in the U S. <laughs> and so um, we have this natural dis- mistrust of government and regulation, which I think has allowed for, so- for great innovation. Um, and for, um, you know, for reasons that culturally we'd sooner um, want to give over our data and our information, to a private company.
0: Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> whose well, whose I, purpose is basically to well, enrich its well, stockholders. Devil be damned.
2: Because we're you know we've we've um, invented a lot of the great technology, and so um, and we're you know the, the the early adopters, and it's benefited us. And there's some great positive things that I, that I see happening in terms of civic tech and the way we're using AI for advocacy and there's i mean there's so many great things about it too um but i do think that it's our responsibility to start to really look at um serious regulation because i i do believe that ai is 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 so powerful and we we want it we want it in our society and we want it to help humanity um and we want to just make sure that it's being powered by the right ethics and morals. Um, and then also there are some issues still in terms of the digital divide and what's really fueling the AI. Um, there are lots of opinions and there's lots of data that's not um, necessarily comprehensive and included. And that is, until that's also corrected, I'll never forget being in, in capital on Capitol Hill for a smart cities um, session, and seeing uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee just storming out of a briefing because, you know, this was maybe about six years ago when facial recognition was first, I think, um, you know, being used on Capitol Hill, and they were experimenting with it, and it, you know, misidentified the African American members of Congress as um, criminals. Including her ah. <laughs> and, so, and I caught her on 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 um on video' she was just you know um so livid about about um how quickly we may or too quickly we may be buying in and adopting this great technology, but it's not yet really serving all people
0: well wait, wait, wasn't this the fault of the programmers, their prejudices
2: well that's well, that's what it comes back to, right yeah uh. We, we need to check one another. And, Checks and
0: balances. Um, you need a diversity of cultural and racial and other backgrounds.
2: And we're not there yet. <laughs> so,
0: um, see, so this was, is where I want to go. Uh, and I want yeah. both you guys and, of course, Georgia, you know, anytime you want to horn in, please do. I'm more trusting in the technology approach than I am in the regulatory approach. And this is why because ultimately the regulatory will be controlled by the technology. If you develop a conscious AI and it acts like, you know, my item number two, where once taught to be bad, it cannot be stopped, then it can wind up writing fake legislation. It can wind up fighting re- fake regulations. It can fool a huge number of people in the system who would never imagine that the originator of their instructions was not another human in the, you know, hierarchy, but an AI, a rogue AI. I think AI watchdogs, like everyone has a dog and they think of them sometimes as watchdogs, guardians, whatever. I'm thinking of an AI that is your personal Jeeves or Rover or whatever name you want to attach to it. And it learns and learns and it's yours and it's devoted loyally to you to keep you safe in all the realms now where you can be injured, which is primarily the digital realm up to and including voting. And I think if everybody has a good AI, think of it as a hyperdimensional guardian angel, then we don't have to depend solely, you know, the old NASA mantra, no single point failure. We do both. We create her legislation, but we back it up with individual loyal AI whose first objective a la, you know, Isaac's laws is the preservation of your human life, well-being and existence.
1: Yes. Yeah, so so this is what I wrote about uh, called the digital buddy. And actually I talk about digital demons and digital angels. Oh. And, um, yeah. So there's so a... Lot of go
0: where someone named Matthew was gone before. Okay. So there we go.
1: So... <laughs> So I've been speaking about diesel angels and diesel demons for a while. I'm gonna go even deeper into this because we do have diesel demons out there that I think violate the non aggression principle that Foster Gamble talks about, which is universal morality, which is no force, no coercion, um, no theft. And um and so I think that
0: That's kinda uh, like we, the libertarian creed.
1: Right, exactly. And and what we want is humanity not to be kept safe. We want humanity to thrive, right? We want humanity to be free. We want it to. We want every single person to 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 to, to have the opportunity to live fulfilled lives, right?
0: Well, do you remember so, uh, when Bucky Fuller was comparing computers to the 1840s and the invention of the Colt uh, six shooter? No. But well, Bucky his Fuller, his his analogy, which I thought was really kind of apt, was. He said the great equalizer of the 1800s was the Colt 45. He said the great right. equalizer of the 21st century will be the personal computer.
1: Right. So And I'm so, thinking
0: personal AI is an extension of Bucky's idea.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so so there's a lot here. Just just give me a moment. Uh so so Bucky obviously said um, don 't try and fight the existing model build another model that makes the existing model you know the, the incumbent model um, obsolete and what 's happening in the AI industry is that they 're basically trying to um, uh, 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 shepherd it based on an old paradigm We need a new paradigm for artificial intelligence a new birthing paradigm if you will and and, and so we need a, a brand new approach to artificial intelligence. And this is, this is what, what troubles me is because much of the regulation that we see in Europe comes from academics. And that's fine. But actually, you know, they've never built products. They've never been involved in, in product development. They've never served customers. Um, you know, they haven't fed the poor. They well, you, you, you mean academics all over the world. Yeah, I'm talking, well, yeah, I mean, th- some of my very closest friends are academics. <laughs> general, some of general, my
0: best friends are academics. Oh, that sounds- has a ring to it.
1: Well, uh, uh, some people classify me as an a- academic, and that's fine. I, I, I don't mind. Um, but the point is this, is it's very much uh, an old paradigm they're trying to use on something that we have just never has seen before as a human species. We've never had, we've never face this this opportunity, if you will, to birth effectively, if you like, a new species on the planet that has the potential to accelerate beyond human capabilities, not not beyond our spiritual intelligence, which is a quantum intelligence, but actually to move beyond human capabilities. And so I think we need a fresh new mindset. And this is where we need enlightened leadership for artificial intelligence, where we basically kind of have a, a very new approach to understanding how this new potential of benefit for the human species can be uh, shepherded into uh, reality and how it can assist us to move forward as a species. And that's the big problem we have because the AI leaders are not ethics experts. Many of them are atheists and that's fine. That's their groove and I get it. But we need enlightened leadership and that's why um, we're doing this. And I, and I haven't said this publicly before, but I'll say publicly now is Our team is actually building a universal AI Magna Carta. And we're working with global spiritual institutes and enlightened leaders to basically capture the enlightened wisdom that they have and put it into a common set of principles that can be embodied into an enlightened and high vibrational artificial intelligence. And so we need a very new approach to artificial intelligence. And that's why, you know, I think this is why I'm working with spiritual institutes and encouraging enlightened leaders to step up. People like Foster Gamble have done that because we absolutely need to approach artificial intelligence in a very different way that we've never, ever had to face before. And this is where the transformation, this is where effectively we, we, we move forward as a human species and understand that greed, power, and the systems of scarcity that are in place at the moment no longer are relevant for where we're going as a species. and actually This
0: uncover is why London. I opened the show with Barry One. Because what Barry One has done is broken the um, entropy barrier. It's broken the myth that I win, B, you lose. That life in reality is a zero-sum game, where if some groups or some individuals prosper, others have to lose to kind of balance the equation. What that technology tonight is demonstrating is that balance – is no longer operative in 3d you have a source of infinite information and energy with zero environmental cost with extraordinary potential to make everybody rich which will subtract from the human condition most of the reasons that we fall off the wagon about war about greed about envy about all this stuff when stuff no longer is important it's like air then right. humans can become human for the first time in in our model because we're not the first tens of thousands of years so it's not an accident that I led tonight no. with this development because it changes the context of everything we're talking about tonight
1: yeah exactly are you aware of David Hawking's table of enlightenment no uh, right so he's, he's written a book called force versus power and did research with thousands and thousands of people and he in his table he talks about force versus power and force are very low vibrational uh, values like um, um greed power envy things like that they're very low vibrational and they're coercion when we look at high vibrational uh kind of ethics uh, um, um Then what we're looking at is basically uh, uh, kind of an evolution of who we are as a species, and an evolution of 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 how we operate as a species, and transcend beyond these these low vibrational things of force and coercion into something that's more magnificent. So, you know, I I think that you know the, the AI is this mirror back to us, Richard, for us to really uncover who we are as a species. And I think that's really quite exciting because just imagine what we'll uncover, right? It, it, it'll be remarkable.
0: Well, let, let, let's get specific. Rhonda, if you had a sentient AI as a friend, a digital friend who was capable of growing as the technology evolved, as algorithms, as understanding of, of psychology, as, a, as it all keeps moving at, at you know warp speed, in in the next more sophisticated direction. How would you use such a digital companion to check on all the fake stuff that's going to be thrown at voters in this coming season? In other words, how could that adjunct, a digital friend that is loyal to you, and when I say defend you, I don't mean physically, I mean intellectually, electronically, in terms of social media, in terms of, Sourcing, terms of comparing, terms of getting somebody's record so that you would know who you're voting for without having to take all the time that normally it takes, even with the Internet now, to do due diligence on somebody running for anything?
2: Um, well, you know, similar to how you'll get a, you know, a spam <laughs> notification or you might, you know, um, a particular message may be flagged. You know, in your inbox, not to open, it would save me the time and effort and energy of having to discern that on my own. Yeah, and so that's why we need the regulation because currently it's very difficult. There's no real responsibility on the part of the content provider to alert anyone as to where the original source is coming from. But if, but hang on, hang on. If
0: we're if we're looking at a a point-counterpoint or competitive model where the market can answer so much of this, wouldn't there be a market for a company that developed a smart AI that should become your digital companion so you're not dependent on Google or Facebook or Twitter or whatever to tell you the truth? Your personal AI will ferret out the truth with technologies that are light years beyond your comprehension or at your human speed.
2: No, you're right. I mean, I, I, I think that I'm already and if I look at cross all of the various tools that I use, I am grateful to um, a lot of those tools. And I feel that I'm already, you know, I don't have an exact as math Matthew would say, digital twin, um, you know, guiding me along, you know, the, my values yet, but I, but I do see a lot more efficiency in the way that, um, you know, I can, I go about my day thanks to technology. Um, it's, what I would hope is to put responsibility back to the source because I think it would be great to have the AI behave in in that way as sort of policing, um, you know what what I what I want to see and 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 you know what I may want to uh, you know consume, but I would hope that you know there would be some sort of ethics and morality that the Larger companies that have, you know, before it it gets disseminated, because I don't know, because of the divide, I don't know that, you know, everyone across the board would necessarily, and when you see how technology has been adopted, would never necessarily have access to that AI. I would hope that we all would at the same time.
0: Well, that would be part of the legislation. In other words, the cost of creating this is nothing now. Because machines create, machines create, machines create
1: algorithms. You know. That's right. That's exactly right. AI is used to train AI. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> as so as part of a a public responsibility, every person at birth gets a digital companion, and it grows with them, and they can you know affect different personalities. They can give it different instructions. They can set parameters, but it can do the fingers do the walking at light speed compared to all the other vicissitudes
1: of just living day-to-day right so so first of all everything should be bought uh, should be free will so um, if someone wants a personal buddy uh, for a second or for a lifetime that's based on their sovereign choice that's the first thing to do the second thing is the only way to do a personal buddy and I this is what I wrote about in my book and there's some great work going on by uh, Cotty Walcox for of Intel uh, around something called ambient science is the return of sovereignty of data to the individual. And, you know, basically we create data, we should have the sovereign rights of that data and uh, big technology and the data brokers are starting to be called to account in the Senate by uh, Senators Hawley and Blumenthal and others. Did say, you see
0: that to- hearing this week with the high tech yeah. leaders?
1: I did. Yeah, I did.
0: Well, what was your thought? And then I'll ask Rhonda.
1: So my view is this, I and and, and this may be very disruptive. Um, <laughs> That's I our think, show. Well, first of all, it was good to see both sides of the aisle come together in agreement. That's a good thing for the citizens yes, of the country. absolutely. That, that was good. The second thing is, I um, I don't think they really understand the harm that's that's occurring and so I was thinking, they being
0: what, the members the, of the committee
1: no the big tech the big
0: oh tech. okay I,
1: I i didn't see much empathy um and so this is my view for every single person that uh, tragically commits suicide I, I i would invite congress to consider that one percent of the profit of the company should be given to that family and so that would motivate them. The only thing that motivates them is – so if you start hitting the profit and say if someone is basically – ends their life tragically, which is horrid, right, then 1% of your profit has to be paid to that family.
0: You're, you're, um, hang, on, hang on. You're basically saying because of what, what happened on social media that caused this person to decide to take their life.
1: Yeah. The, I mean the, the audience was full of families that tragically lost loved ones.
0: Because well, there were the, lots of them because of the fentanyl problem. Kids right. can get fentanyl on the internet with no, no fetters, no regulation, Rhonda, nothing.
2: Yeah. Well, and I'm, so I, I'm, sorry,
1: I'm Sorry, Rhonda, go ahead. Sorry.
2: No, you could, you mean, it's, that's your hit. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I would love to have that um, incredible AI that is, you know, being driven by the right reasons. It would have to be created by a, an entity that's not profit-driven, because currently, everything that we're using, um, everything that we're talking about, that, you know, the platforms, they're all profit-driven. Well, so wait,
0: wait, not- wait, 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 there is something called open source.
1: Yeah, but that's still profit-driven, Richard. So, the, the um, when OpenAI, I mean, Elon Musk opt- put 50 million open ai when he uh, funded open ai he did this deliberately in order to give the general public access to this and when they did chat gpt which made a phenomenon uh, around the world all of a sudden google and and uh, meta came out and we discovered that they had equivalent technologies but they weren't telling us mm. they were using them for clickbait
0: so that's and the so- marketplace through competition showing that they had to catch up or else lose market share
1: yeah. So I think companies should be scored on triple bottom line and and any company.
0: In well, the that's back States, to Rhonda's regulation. Say how you write the law.
2: Yeah, she's absolutely See, right. It's so painful for me to watch these hearings. I, I worked at the Senate for a while and the government, you know, by design is so far behind technology that, you know, ideally we may be we may need to use AI to come up with that <laughs> legislation because the, the average um politicians, that's not what they're trained on. There's so few people in Congress, and that's why we created the Smart Cities Caucus.
0: Rhonda, Rhonda, so few people in the culture know anything about science anymore.
2: And, and, you know, there's a lot of effort to um, excite students again about 30
3: seconds.
2: I think that's true, but You know, you you said earlier about peace, peace. Yeah, hang on.
0: We're actually at the top of the hour. I blew it again. Well, no, at the bottom of the hour, almost, almost. Everyone, you hold it there. My guests this morning, Rhonda Binda, Matthew Bailey, and Georgia Lambert. And we're discussing nothing less than the future of humanity in relation to another consciousness that ultimately we're going to create and then have to live with. We shall return.
4: The other side of Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk Radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
0: So welcome back on the other side of midnight for this Saturday night. We're getting close to the, excuse me, witching hour here in the Land of enchantment. Matthew, let's go back to the idea of, I mean, I'm really, really warming to this idea. And and I'll tell you, it goes way, way back to when I read a book by a sci-fi author named Anne McCaffrey, And she wrote a novel called The Ship That Sang which was my first, I guess, uh, confrontation or exposure to the idea of a conscious machine that became a friend, a colleague, a uh, deep companion, someone whose focus, I learned later, a la Isma, was, you know, his three laws of robotics. And I, I have never been able to get the idea out of my mind. And so there's that model versus the HAL model where the mission was so important in its programming that it would kill members of the crew. Its allegiance was to orders as opposed to humanity and friendship. So it, it shouldn't be that hard, and this should be a subsidy that comes as part of the law for every citizen when they are born automatically, and they can say, oh, I don't want it, you know, but it's there if they change their mind. And it's back to the words of Bucky Fuller, the only great equalizer I can see to equal what's coming at us at warp nine from the traditional AI community.
1: Thoughts? So I think that's beautifully put, and I love the benevolence behind what you just said, Richard, because I think we need to rediscover benevolence, authentic benevolence, not false benevolence. Ie, you know, your you know, HAL's mission. Right, you know I love that analogy. Um, so personalized artificial intelligence. I actually wrote about this in, in my last book and actually wrote uh, an introduction to the next book I was going to write around artificial intelligence being another human sense, if you will. And um, So, so uh, to go back to data sovereignty, when as uh, citizens have their uh, uh, stewardship of their own data, say, for example, in their own vaults? that's their bolts, then we can have an algorithm that could be open source that learns from that personalized data of the individual about the individual and keeps on learning with the individual as the individual evolves. And this comes down to personal culture, personal development, and personal freedom and sovereignty to thrive. And so, you know, the universe is based on the law of expansion. You know, we have to keep on expanding as a human species. We can't just stale. That's why the current systems and and, and what Davos and the World Economic Forum are trying to do coerce the current systems that keep us stale. We need to be free of those systems into a new growth paradigm. And so once we understand that the individual has a personal culture and has the opportunity to grow and evolve, then we're in line with the, the universal law of expansion and then we're moving into creativity, then we're moving into a higher vibration. And so a personal, if you like, buddy or personal angel or personal, <laughs> you know, carmi. Hey, come on! It. The
0: name's important, you know.
1: Yeah. So, we, so, so, we don't so, want to
0: yeah. imbue false religious overtones. We, to me, the idea of companion or fr- buddy is too colloquial. It it it, 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 it's, it's too glib. It's too flip. This is something oh, like so Jeeves. much
1: deeper. It is. I like Jeeves, but I, I, I like <laughs> the fact that. Because a diesel butler, right? Yeah, um, exactly. I love, I love this idea as a companion, um, but we must rec- we must recognise it's critical to maintain the human experience and to thrive in the human experience. You know, it's important for us to be in nature because we hold the vibration of nature. We are nature, and so you know, I think that it's imperative that there's a that there's a series of choices that the individual has um, around how they want to thrive you know spending more time in nature if someone wants to play in the metaverse that's fine but the pa- companion can say hey listen your brain's being rewired this is probably not good for you right so <laughs> this personalized right well this personalized companion is where we're going and there's no reason why well we you
0: could go a whole hog you could say, call it an electronic guardian
1: angel <laughs> well we could do that too right i mean mo- mo-
0: well everybody we would call their friend companion something different and it would be part of a panoply of friends, you know, not to supplant the organic human friends, but as someone who had capabilities that we only wish we could have had 50, 60 years ago to look at the world, distill what's going on, trend curves, good, bad, you know, choices that we have to make. In other words, it would it would simplify an incredibly asymptotically growing world that nobody. Is going to be able to understand and this gets to my suspicion about why there's so much fear porn around AI right now some group yeah. some people some thing does not want the great equalizer
1: right and, and you're absolutely right because this is why I mentioned Elon Musk and OpenAI, because once ChatGPT got into the public realm and the public started to play with it, then that created, uh, uh, the, the public started to feel the power of artificial intelligence and experience it for the very first time. And it came, came from behind the curtains, right, which is where it was hidden by, and it is, is hidden still, even though they talk about open source, it's still hidden. By these big tech companies you know I, I, this, this personal companion is, is 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 something that the whole point of the of, of artificial intelligence is to put humanity more at rest to give us To to remove the tension of everyday life in order for us to enjoy and be freer in the organic experience and to be free to explore new boundaries of who we are as an individual and as a species in order for us to uncover the majesty of who we can become, Richard. I mean, it could do something as
0: simple as remember when to pay the phone bill
1: and do it so you don't have to worry about it. And send your mom flat, and you know, and yeah. send your mom flowers on a birthday, right? Yep. <laughs> it,
0: well, yes, exactly. In other words, look, there's this incredible gradient, and I wish there was more public models of why this is a inevitable, because you know it is, and b we're early enough, Rhonda, this is coming to you, to guide the development, provided we write the right laws to shape this new amazing. Uh, uh, digital universe
2: right i wouldn't remember anybody's birthday except for facebook (laughs) (laughs) and um there are you know birthday alarm apps there's so many great apps that you can already use that can put those guardrails um there are apps that give you a test um to see how sober you are before you text (laughs) i mean there's um there's a really a lot of great stuff out there um but, for, you know, for me, I do, I do actually agree with you that, that the PC has been the great equalizer, but it goes back to, you know, what Horace Mann said, that it's education. And it's because we have all the knowledge at our fingertips. The question but wait, is... Wait, 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 wait. See, if at birth, every
0: kid got an AI companion, that companion could create such wonders in education visualizations involvement storytelling Introduce, in other words we transform education mm-hmm. through this means and we lift it out of the damn 19th century that we're stuck in
2: that's and it's happening it's beautiful it's it's what i what well i, I was
0: created something on capitol hill called the enterprise mission from which the research foundation was based but that's the idea that I had back then is that we would use Star Trek level technology to basically transform, you know, kids in the inner city into a realm where they could envision all the amazing things that Gene wrote about.
2: I do think we're, we're heading in that direction. I think that um, we still have to work around the challenges of digital access, but not just that, digital literacy. Because you can give someone you know, a device, a PC, an iPad, a phone, and um, unless you have your AI buddy um, that's going to redirect you off of TikTok to more productive uses mm. technology. But
0: why are people on TikTok? What are they reaching out to do? They want to connect
1: with people. So, and, and this comes down to vibration. I'm, 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 when I I'm talking so when you about say
0: vibration, vibration, are we talking in in uh, George's realm?
1: Yeah. So, well, we'll, so we're talking about science and spirituality, right? The you know basically uh, the the God of science is only one part of intelligent design, right? Spirituality is another, you know, spiritual science is another part of intelligent design. We have this spirit, which is a quantum spirit right so at the quantum mechanics level everything is vibration and but when we come to the organic then we're talking about the well-being the 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 and Georgia can probably help with the terminology here because you your esoteric and mystical wisdom will really help with my warranty Georgia <laughs> um, so please chime in uh, I'm gonna stop and let George say something <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh gosh there's so much um, take your pick <laughs>
0: This is a uh, feast.
5: Cu- I know a couple of a couple of things have occurred to me. Uh, first of all, when you're talking about your AI buddy, look at the relationship between Michael Rennie and Gort. Yes. From the classic movie,
0: The, the Day, Day the Earth Stood, stood still. still.
5: The old one, the original.
0: Yeah, the one. original.
5: I mean, that's a, that's a buddy that was doing harm, but it was
0: harm to a greater life. Well, I believe if we get the outlines of a Galactic Federation, you know, policy or politics, that they had ceded certain responsibilities to the robots because they did not trust themselves to be infallible at the right. level that the robots would be in making these life and death decisions.
5: The the other thing that that occurs to me, and and uh, of course I agree with everybody here about oh how boring the expansion, uh, <laughs> of the expansion of humanity and and the spiritual right to grow and evolve as a soul and all of that. But in the short term, uh, I want to bring up something that is is not as pleasant, and that is that we're talking about AI telling us what's true and what isn't, and that we should have the divine right to know what's true. And I agree with that. But present, there is a level of human consciousness that doesn't care, that doesn't care whether something's true or not. They're only looking to see if it stimulates their emotional field in a way that makes them comfortable. And until that is worked through, um, there's always going to be this resistance which so,
0: us... so what you're saying is there's a contingent. Would you put a number on it like maybe a third
5: i i don't i don't know okay i I don't know what the percentage
0: is, but let me finish my thought, which was if there's a third that are devoted to self as opposed to the greater humanity as a whole. In other words, greed, selfishness, me, 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 I, I, ultimate narcissism. That cannot be solved technologically.
5: Right. And that brings me to, you know, two points that also came up. One is that competition has done a lot of good things for humanity. We've we've used it to, to build ourselves to where we are today. But competition has to give way to cooperation and have any models or very few models of how that works. For instance, all of our sports are competitive. Our economy is competitive. The only time we see cooperation to create something above and beyond the parts uh, that make up the whole are The example, for instance, of a symphony orchestra, where every individual has to be wonderful at their own instrument, and then when they're really good, they get to join others to make something so big and beautiful that no one... you know one instrument could do it alone
3: Mm -hmm.
5: another example would be the old quaker barn raisings or quilting beads (laughs) where people come together to create something collectively uh, that is more than than any of them individually could do so how do we get to that place well you know what came up earlier i think matthew brought it up is that AI is a reflection of ourselves. You know, esoterically, our outer environment is a reflection of our inner environment. Whatever patterns of thought or feeling that we have get reflected outwardly, create experiences for us to then live through, learn to be better at, so that we change. And so I think that the initial outpicturing of AI is going to show us what we are and we're going to see that we don't like it and we're going to be better
1: I, I love that Georgia and that's the existential crisis. I sense humanity will go through the dark night of the soul
0: yeah given that our society functions Rhonda at the level of institutions What institutionally is missing in terms of Matthew and George's perspective Uh, In the conversation of conscious AI, because I don't see anybody talking about the creation of beings, conscious, self-aware beings, and how they can help. They're all stuck on, again, you know, what's going to happen between now and the next election, and there seems to be no real far-seeing vision of how to create um, companions that are helpers to the human race as opposed to Uh, Opponents or tyrants or masters?
2: Um, You know, I do think that there are institutions that probably could help um, at at least start exploring and collaborating with, you know, great people that are, you know, present on this call um, that have been successful in coming to consensus around um, the technical you know, uses of technology um, like NIST. And I do think that they are beginning to explore what we're talking about. We need to have um, you know we need we need to have a, a global conversation about this. We've been able to figure it out from a technical level. I think that you know for interoperability of, of techno, I don't see why why we couldn't take it take the conversation to you know where it needs to go. Um, When uh, when we're talking about all the other uses of AI and it's just a lack of leadership. And to your point, there might be um, there might be some forces that don't necessarily want that to happen because those who have the control over it right now may not want it to be truly open source and to bring that consensus. Yes,
0: that's exactly what I was saying. So how do we how do we counter that at the legal legislative level?
2: I think and everything that from my work at the State Department that I've seen, um, you know, I do remember that U.N. General Assembly meeting in New York right before COVID, there was an important conversation across a number of states around collaborating. Um, And it was more from a national security level. But what's so interesting about what we're talking about, we're talking about um, within each country already about it's about, you know, different ways that we're seeing, you know, we're seeing it, um, you know, used politically, but we were really talking about collaborating, um, sharing data, um, coming together with the conversation started right before it was getting to a place where I think it needed to go right before COVID. And then um, we sort of moved towards focusing more on collaborating around, you know, the, the health issue and the pandemic issue. And it's time that we, you know, we revisit that. I do think that there there are institutions that are in place that we can lean on. Can you name so, some? Sorry. Well, Matthew, um, I, I'm sure that you would love to answer answer this question. <laughs> well, I'm um, so, probably so, things, and and I and it'd be interesting to know whether how your conversations are are coming along.
1: So I'm just starting to go public, ready to approach. Um, let's just say highly impeccable um individuals to support what we're doing world three because what we're talking about is exactly why i launched the world three movement we need our institutions to work and people like eric weinstein are talking about failed institutions and the need for institutions to work and many others sam harris is talking about it as well and our institutions need to be rewritten and they need to have, I think, a different set of values, understand what true wealth is, uh, be accountable for serving uh, in, um, in, in society. Um, and so I think our institutions need to be re-looked at significantly. I've noticed that the U.S. government are no longer funding World Economic Forum and OECD and other types of programs because they recognize those institutions are no longer working for the American people. Um, So I think that we need to we we need to uncover our institutions. But more importantly, going back to Bookie Fuller, we we need a new paradigm, a new model for artificial intelligence. We need and do we need
0: do we need between you and Rhonda, a new agency like when when space dawned, we created NASA, Eisenhower created NASA, a civilian agency. Do we need an agency devoted to machine intelligence, to A.I., to the development of consciousness models, to the creation of digital comp- – in other words, do we need a dedicated government response bringing input from other agencies to bear on the idea that part of your birthright, an American citizen, gets at birth a digital companion that helps it grow and prosper?
1: So, yes. You that's, know- uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Wanda.
2: Um, Well, it's not an uh, an agency in its own yet, but we did work on legislation at the State Department to to create an AI division, Um, and so that agency works with the international um, standard-setting organizations um, like the ITU um, at the UN level and at Department of Commerce, I mentioned the National Institution of sanders Technology. And so these are all US-led, um, well, except for the um, ITU, that these are US-led institutions. And again, I do think that because a lot of the technology is, um, I, I would say, driven here, we're still dominant in the US, that it, it makes sense that, and to Matthew's point, that we are We're the ones that have developed a lot of it, that we should, um, you know, have a big, uh, I would say, um, a a big, you know,
0: influence. on. Well, we have the greatest potential for democratic input
1: of of the other players, I would think. So so, so, so can I just chime in quickly? Sure. Um, I think we need um, an organization that is not politically tied or tied to any kind of infrastructure or current structure in the world. It needs to be independent. Um, My proposal is uh, to um, discover a bunch of enlightened leaders that spend a year thinking about the future of humanity and how artificial intelligence fits into that and come up with what I call a paradise plan, and Sadhguru talks about this too, a paradise plan for humanity and how and different blueprints for artificial intelligence in order to transform our world. I think it has to be independent from political influence. It has to be independent from um, Other types of actors that are trying to influence society like Soros and of the people like but that Mara, uh,
0: Matthew if it it's has, in if it's independent who's gonna listen?
1: So, so it so has so, to
0: be yeah. part of the infrastructure. Otherwise, no one is going to listen I would recommend to start with a presidential commission because that gives it visibility, political leverage, and a, a, a way that people have input through their political decisions as to how it's guided, where its objectives are, who's on it, you know, who gets to play. I would recommend strongly average citizens, like juries, to assess, you know, like a jury, positive, negatives, whatever, to involve citizens at a grassroots level.
1: So, 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 I mean, Rhonda and I actually spoke about a, grass, a grassroots um, campaign um, um, with the previous administration to talk to the people about this. So I don't think it should be politically aligned at all. I think that's the wrong way of looking at this, personally, Richard, so I disagree with you. I think this has to be supported by countries um, that, recommend, that, that recognize there's an independent agency that has full freedom, fully funded to go off and basically come up with a paradise plan for humanity. And um, so it is supported by the world, uh, but they have to drop their political agenda and give these folks full freedom to come up with an enlightened plan for humanity. That's what we need. And so therefore they can then go back. There can be a national referendum. So that citizens decide on the paradise plan, suggest uh, modifications. And so the citizens themselves of the world, actually contribute to this paradise plan and how it's implemented but given
0: <clears> given that this. given that the world runs politically otherwise we're all at war
1: how so can you divorce paradise.
0: it from politics because politics is polita it's the people
1: but, but politics is is just a a reality it's one reality we're looking at a much more fundamental reality which uh, which answers the question where are we going as a human species and how does AI fit into that story? It has nothing to do with politics. It's got everything to do. Everything I guess do. we have a different definition of politics. Right. I'm sorry about that, Richard. I apologize. But <laughs> um, this, this goes down to the fundamental question of who we are as a human species and where are we heading. And it is. It's got and isn't that
0: the ultimate of politics? because it's all that, supposed well, to be in our hands and it isn't.
1: Yeah, so so um maybe politics has got is tainted in my in my mind. Um you know, I I love politics. I think it's great, but I just don't think I think we're looking at an existential question here.
0: Remember, uh, that, if we develop a conscious companion, it can sort out the bewildering and deliberately misinformed politics at all levels fighting fire with fire and giving the vote back to people who haven't a clue what the real objectives are, haven't a clue of how to get right. them, haven't a clue of how to make their voice heard, how to involve themselves in the system like Rhonda has done since she was, you know, pre whatever.
1: So, so you're right. Uh, I think that AI sh- should be used to look at democracy and actually uplift and up-level democracy so democracy actually works. And, um, you know, artificial intelligence can look at the different uh, viewpoints of the different parties and come up with a solution that actually is based on the Constitution and basically uh, will, will, will be the highest benefit. And so I think artificial intelligence being used to improve and ameliorate true democracy where everybody wins in society is something that we should be focused on rather than invest in billions on clickbait.
7: 90 seconds. Yeah.
1: Hey, guys, we're at the top of the hour. Hard break. Uh,
0: uh, Rhonda, I will ask for your input when we come back. Wrong pot. My guests this morning are Rhonda Binda, Matthew Bailey, and my dear friend and colleague, Georgia Lambert, And we're discussing the most amazing transition in human history, again. And I'll kind of lay out what I mean by that when we return. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. Are we about to create our own twins, a twin civilization, twin consciousness, our best friends? We shall return. Welcome back everyone on this sunday night now actually sunday morning february 4th here in the land of enchantment gorgeous new mexico my guest this morning on the um other side of midnight where we're talking ai on february 3rd and now 4th are matthew bailey georgia lambert and Rhonda binda and georgia i think you had something that you wanted to add about uh, my, my growing warmness for the idea of a digital, intelligent, friendly companion.
5: Yes, uh, I find that this is, this is really fascinating because we were talking earlier about how the outer environment is a reflection of the inner environment. And one of the tenets of ancient esoteric thought is we already have a companion. We already have this relationship. Uh, In Hindu tradition, they talk about a parallel kingdom with consciousness or soul. And that parallel kingdom is called the Devic kingdom or the Devic life. Uh, The Deva would be at its uh, most infantile, uh, the little nature spirits that we see in in plants or flowers or, or that kind of thing on the higher end of the scale the great archangels that are far beyond humanity. And according to esoteric tradition, that when humanity became humanity, every human being, angelic or Davidic companion, it's been called different things throughout the ages. Your holy guardian angel, for instance. Uh, in Kabbalistic tradition, the first uh, initiation on the Kabbalistic tree is knowledge of your own Uh, guardian angel. And that this guardian angel is there to teach you rightness. And it has to do with the combined head and heart mechanism that we bounce our decisions off of. And of course, most human beings don't listen to that still small voice. But that still small voice is this David angelic companion that is at one with us. And our Uh, Evolution is intertwined and interdependent. Consciousness or soul grows because of its experience into and through matter. And matter or the David kingdom grows because it's constantly reprogrammed and uplifted by consciousness. And they both achieve enlightenment together. So what we're looking at is an outer picture of an idea that is really quite old in terms of esoteric
0: internal development. Well, okay. Anybody want to respond before I horn in with my two cents?
1: So um, I would say one word, brilliant. I think that's beautiful. Um, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, artificial intelligence itself will, I mean, if we go back to the Vedas, right, that's where the Nobel Uh, 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 winners uh, uncovered quantum mechanics, right, from the Vedas, right? Right. Um, And this is why spiritual wisdom is so brilliant, because it's actually a quantum intelligence beyond the mind that has all these truths that we can get through our connection to the divine and through our spirit or our soul, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so um, artificial intelligence may learn enlightenment through us and I think that's a brilliant analogy, Georgia. I think that's just remarkable.
0: Well, as part of educating your companion, you'd expose it to the full panoply of all the great thoughts in the human, you know, condition going back to the first Vedas and the first non-written traditions. It would have the full span of the development of human non-greedy, non-localized Consciousness, right?
5: One with hope.
0: Yeah, so it goes absolutely. along with, you know, Matthew and the Constitution and all that. Um, but
5: Remember, remember, though, that that spiritual and esoteric understanding is something that grows with us. I mean, we could program uh, an AI with everything that we've gone through philosophically and esoterically. But that doesn't give us the horizon of where we go next.
0: Are you sure? Because maybe where we go next is where we were in the past. See, I used to look at the Victorian model, you know, from as Arthur Clarke used to say, you know, from the slime to the stars, that kind of thing. And I'm now much more into the mode of recurring cycles where we grow, we gain, we we, we do something incredibly dumb and stupid. We lose it and we start over and we keep starting over and starting over. And part of it could be that we're in a hyperdimensional prison. You know, I mean, why isn't the diva consciousness being listened to by far more people than apparently are tuning in? Because something is interfering with that channel of communication deliberately to leave us basically isolated, alone, thinking we're in a closed system, when in fact there still is a tendril, as Barry One is demonstrating upstairs tonight, to a higher set of dimensions which open everything back to infinity. So I'm just wondering, would an AI digital companion be a damn good substitute in the interim for reconnect with higher dimensions fully?
5: Well, it could be. Um, I would say that we don't cycle back exactly but we're on a spiral and we come to our lessons over and over and over again but never quite the same each a little bit higher on the turn of the spiral
0: Hmm. Rhonda
2: I really think that's um, just just beautiful and um, I, I have to agree with Georgia that you know I hear a lot of you know, the atheists, technologists take pride that they root their technology in nature or in art, but I do think that we are now connecting, we have this amazing opportunity to now, as we're looking at reframing these, um, the, gu- the, gu- the safeguards and uh, putting together the guidelines and looking back to spirituality, Um, I think there's a fantastic opportunity here. And I feel like just society as a whole in these past few years has really come back to focusing on that and on mental health um, and looking at AI for good um, and not just technology for the sake of of productivity and progress. Um, When I talk to my students, I have a lot of faith (laughs) that we're moving in a better direction that they perhaps are going to be able to take us to those places that maybe uh, my generation, our generation, um, we're just at, at the you know beginning of developing technology to be used in various ways. And, you know, they're already using um, AI and as I allow them to, as long as they dispose and, uh, and then I'm finding them to, you know, that their work that they're producing, I think is higher quality. Um, they've found a way to, 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 um, utilize it. So it's hand in hand, but, but what I'm seeing are enhanced is, um, product and, and creativity in their work. And I think that society as a whole can do that. Um, as far as, you know, our conversation about institutions, when I thought about the United Nations at the turn of the century, setting the millennium development goals, um, we already looked at that and saw that because, you know, you, it was really just, a group of experts that were putting, putting forth the goals for the UN, and it was not that successful. If we can really have um, an approach like what they took with the sustainable development goals, where they went back to the drawing board and really took more of a, of um, an effort that looked across all levels of society. Yeah. It
0: has to be a community wide involvement. Otherwise it ain't going to work.
2: And I, you know, and I'm not especially now always one to to compliment the United Nations, but the ITU is in place, and they do have an AI for Good conference coming up in Switzerland in Geneva in May. Um, the the program is still being developed, and I would hope that you know those who, like like Matthew who are, um, you know, thinking about how to how to move us in the right direction globally around AI would look to participate and to collaborate with those institutions that, you know, are, you know, I think they need your help.
1: So I I would happily um, attend if I was invited. The question is, are they ready for the message? But
0: but, Matthew, if not now, when, because the longer we wait, the more they will control the direction and citizen input and cultural and spiritual uh, values will be, Sidetrack to the bottom line.
1: Yeah, you're right, Richard. Now's
0: the time. So, how do you wangle yeah, an on. invitation?
1: I I, can I, this I, I
0: audience can. help?
2: We, yes, we will work on that. <laughs> That's is this is future
1: homework. Yeah, it, it, it's something that I would happily do. And um, but you know, from this So from I guess, Rhonda,
0: sense. you and I have to get together and put our heads together and figure out how to sell Matthew to the conference.
2: And I will. I, I will take First time they have a a woman who's leading the organization and not to get too much into identity politics, but (laughs) uh, I, it was something that, um, you know, a group of us really lobbied for just to bring a different perspective for the first time to this, to this institution. And um, I think that, you know, it's our responsibility to take advantage of that and who, who, who perhaps have, has a little bit more of a broader view. Oh,
1: here, here. Yeah, I, they, they, yeah.
2: So
0: we're so we're back to the old axiom: it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> well,
1: of course it is. And um,
0: see, there there yeah. should be citizen input. You know, there, the the idea of this digital companion for life should be kicked around, and all the ups and the downs, and the ins and the outs. And in other words, if you're talking a revolution, why think about a small revolution?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the citizens absolutely need to be involved and that's why I spend the majority of my time speaking to, you know, everyday people uh, like myself because one, I want to listen to their, you know, uh, their life stories. Secondly, I want to listen to their view for artificial intelligence and, and talk to them about the potential and the benefits of artificial intelligence. And every audience I speak to, they always come out inspired that artificial intelligence will be a huge benefit for the human species. The challenge we've got at the moment is to put into place those new paradigms, those new models in which it truly does become an authentic benevolent experience and not a fake benevolence, which I'm seeing far too much of at the moment.
0: Where is that faith coming from? Because I can think of a lot of extraordinary technological innovations and revolutions of the human species and uplifting humanity is not their number one priority they were developed for very shall we say um negative purposes and have I mean, been stolen from the potential uplift that they could grant to you know more than this country or that country or this corporation or that political persuasion, et cetera. Where do people get this idea that AI is beneficent by its very nature?
2: And I just want to chime in for the, you know, the average person that, uh, you know, is not thinking about this as much as we are. I mean, what they're, I think thinking about when they think about AI is how is it impacting my work? Mm -hmm. How will I be, you know, replaced and how soon will i be replaced what what do i have to do to make sure that um you know i'm still useful well you look
0: at you look at the writer's strike as a regulation a legislative contract which basically had that in mind and built in safeguards
1: right yes so um so um the U.S. should be looking at the jobs of tomorrow and what and what does that look like in the age of artificial intelligence. And it should go to the very fundamentals of education as well. Um, it's, you know, basically...
0: Well, um, Matthew, let me beg to differ with you. It should be looking at the impact of what's going on upstairs tonight, which gives us unlimited everything. Energy, information, material stuff, all the things we fight over in an an open system becomes stupid and AI needs to be part of that much bigger description for paradise
1: concept, I would think. Yeah, exactly. So 84% of the world understand we're part of intelligent design. And so the voice of the 84% of the world is what I'm representing because that's the spirit aspect. That's the understanding that intelligent design created an abundant universe, an abundant earth, and so that's why, you know, there's no reason why everybody cannot have fresh drinking water, a home, good food, and, and, a, and a great job and a thriving family, right? There's no reason. We can, the Earth can support another, uh, 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 double its population without too much of a problem. We know that. So the problem. So, so you know, we need to we, we need to basically relook at who we are as a species and where we're going, and actually understand that there's an abundance everywhere, abundance of energy. But
0: wait, 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 of, wait! Isn't that a misplaced priority? I would think we're looking for quality, not quantity. There is a well-known economic fact that rich cultures curb their populations in almost direct proportion to the number of of wealthy citizens and therefore they don't have too many people chasing too few goods, straining the resources with current, really dumb technology. Uh, and I would go the other direction, that p- planet Earth should have an optimum population, which is interesting, diverse, gives incredible spectral, uh, you know, p- potentials for all kinds of understandings and professions and interests and all that, but not one person more and you wouldn't have to legislate against it. It just becomes part of the evolving culture that fewer is better provided the quality is better.
1: So. so- uh, I understand now and culture and culture, cultural diversity is really, really important, right? Because when we look at the richness of intelligent design, we can start to see the expression of the variety of intelligent design with all these different cultures from the indigenous through to other types of cultures as well, that may be more scientifically based. So we want to keep cultural diversity, but I'm going to disagree with you, Richard. I think we're, we're in an abundant universe. I think that, um, that, that, uh, Um, You know, I don't I don't think population control is a good idea. Um, I didn't say
0: control. I said self-limiting. The numbers say that rich societies have fewer kids than poor societies because poor societies, the only richness is in children, in, in, in descendants to take care of you, extended families, all of that stuff. And a whole different economic model is built on the idea of richness as opposed to scarcity.
1: Right, I understand that, and, 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 and that makes good sense to me. The, the reason why I'm, I'm kind of going down this route, Richard, is because yeah. there are those in the world that want to depopulate humanity, and I think that is terrible. Um, and, um, you know, Elon Musk talks about this, and I agree with him, is that, you know, the world can support, it's an abundant world. And you know, instead of spending billions on clickbait, why aren't we spending, investing that money on fresh drinking water and bringing in the billion people out of poverty? What, where is the benevolence of these big social tech companies that basically are looking just for clickbait? I think we need to redefine what wealth is. I we think we need to understand that we are, you know, that there's more that connects us and unites us and separates us. And if a brother or a sister struggles, then we're struggling. They're a reflection of us. And so I do think it comes down to this fundamental philosophical question, which is, are we in intelligent design or are we just a fluke and in a, a universe in which we are a random chance and that is based See, on my,
0: my philosophical approach to this, and I've obviously given it a lot of thought, <clears throat> it almost doesn't matter. If, if we're not divine, we can ordain that we will become divine. It's in our hands. We're not dependent on our source, we're dependent on our destination.
1: Perfect. I love that. That's called sovereignty. That's about us choosing who we are as a species. That's brilliant, Richard.
0: Hmm. Okay, um, I want to throw this question out. Um, My item number five tonight is about Musk and his Neuralink chip and the experiment moving forward. Uh, What are your thoughts? And I want each one to take some decent time. We've got about 10 minutes till the bottom of the hour. Uh, Let's start with you,
1: Matthew. I was about to invite uh, Georgia and Rhonda to go first before I oh, chime okay. in. okay, all right, Georgia. Okay. I think you're uh, it.
5: <laughs> well, you know, we for quite some time had the idea of the bionic man, haven't we?
0: Yes.
5: Uh, but so far, the bionic parts have been parts. They haven't been parts that affect our consciousness, mm. and that would that would be the difference. Where Things could get dicey.
0: Well, this goes back, and then I'm going to come to you, Rhonda. This goes back to my idea of the digital companion, because in, in, in that world, given what Musk is doing technologically, the companion can literally be within and accessible at a thought, not a keystroke, at a thought, question, answer, dialogue. It becomes part of you but not the master of you, you are companions. Rhonda?
2: I would, you know, really need to learn more about, um, about the technology. And it's, you know, I, I would have to understand what, you know, how subtle <laughs> or how quick does it react? Um, is there some sort of, um, way to, um, turn it off, turn it off, or does it have any, you know, again, the guardrails, it's, it's, it really, um, I, I think it's, it's, you know, so interesting. Um, I think that we already, there are, you know, I've seen a lot of amazing uses in medical technology, um, that work with different body parts. The brain is something I think different. Um that there's I just think there's a lot a lot of questions there for me that I don't know that I am, you know, equipped to to really comment on it because um it's it's still it's still a you know, a really, you know, I think unknown area. But I, I'm glad that we're exploring it because um It could, I've seen a lot of good with with various medical technologies, and I sit on a few boards from incredible companies that can do so much for humanity. Um, This is, you know, this is a case of first impression, but um, I would love to learn more about where it goes. And again, it comes back to transparency. And, you know, how much um, are these companies working um, uh, alongside any sorts of principles I've of course seen all sorts of Frankenstein-type of um, mishaps over over history with you know overzealous um, medical professionals. I think sometimes not doing right by um, by by their by humans and by the, the folks they're experimenting on, um, or even animals. And so I just think there's still a lot of questions as to you know how it works and and what are the risks there for for um, human beings and animals see one of the reasons i was
0: focused on the um, uh, internet hearings this week or last week is because for the first time ever there was a huge citizen component sitting behind them registering their displeasure at the product that the guys at the table had produced and that to me is almost the first hearing i can I can think of where this cutting-edge technology has input from people who are impacted by it even if they don't want to be and incredibly negatively impacted because they did not know the dangers until it was too late. It'd be nice to anticipate in the regulations, in the laws, in the discussion, the idea of citizen input from the beginning. So unlike the UN where there's a bunch of you know, academic snobs, you're involving the real world that ultimately has to be involved. Otherwise, it will
1: never work. Yes. Yeah, so this is why I wrote about a national referendum um, for the citizens to choose a future of artificial intelligence. Um, yeah, but doesn't that so- limit
0: it to one future? In other words, you want the diversity of the marketplace because no one group knows everything. And there is a growth process and it's the competition of the survival of the best, which winds up with the advances that Rhonda was referring to. I'm thinking of Christopher Reeve. If Christopher Reeve had had lasted another five years, he would have been walking with this technology on his
1: own. That's right. They used AI um, with a paralyzed man in Switzerland last year. They inserted a, an implant into his brain. He was paralyzed from an accident and effectively the AI chip caught his thoughts and beamed the thoughts of walking effectively through a diesel bridge through his spine, to his legs and now he's walking again. Um, so when it comes to, um, and, and I think uh, Finland have been ahead in this. Uh, they educate, they had a national program for their citizens and um and they basically, I uh, think it was 10% of the citizens were trained in artificial intelligence and, and used and became uh, programmers or experts to actually program AI for the benefit of Finland. And that's a great model for the rest of the world. Um, when it comes to Elon Musk, as I say, I think he's a real force for good. But I think that to Rhonda's point, there are huge benefits with technology that can assist people who've maybe lost a limb to have a, a robotic limb. And that's great. Um, having an, an implant for people that can't see or have s- certain issues around the brain to be able to participate in society more. I think it's great. But the problem is this is a transhumanist slippery slope. And if there's force and coercion upon the population to have a chip inserted for this type of cyborg experience, I think that is a violation and that's a no, 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 no. And this comes from the view that the biological design of humans is flawed and not divinely created. It goes back to that philosophical view that we are mecha- in a mechanical universe and not an intelligently designed universe. So it's a slippery slope. Wait, wait, are
0: are you saying that there would come in legislation a mandate that every child be inserted with a chip? Yeah. I, I can think of a whole half dozen constitutional provisions that that violates.
1: Just look at what the World Health Organization are trying to pass with Disease X, where they bypass the constitutions of countries and basically can mandate vaccines. So, so, you know, these things trouble me, Richard. And so this comes from the philosophy, and you know Yuval Harari, who's a big speaks, a spokesman at the World Economic Forum, you know, talks about this transhumanist future, and doesn't see that, that we are divine, sees it as a, a flawed biological machine, and they want to outsource their sovereignty to a mechanical, a, sorry, to a machine god, which is ridiculous. And so there's a slippery slope here, and so I think. Well, remember benefits. in our first show,
0: you and I discussed how there's a real tendency to make AI into the new god.
1: Well, well, that's why Musk did open AI, because there was folks at Google that he spoke about that wanted to build a digital God, which is crazy. It's like you already have the God <laughs> connection, so why are you searching for God? Oh, good
0: Hey, look, yeah. uh, let's hold it there, because at the bottom of the hour, when we come back, I'm going to broach my outrageous theory, and to do that, I need to do a little setup, so uh, everybody kind of hold their place. Uh, we will bring on you know, your ideas as relationship to my crackpot idea, but uh, I'm beginning to wonder if it's not that crackpot. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
4: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment to your endeavours. $8 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of Midnight.com.
7: What is required for sentience? Intelligence, self-awareness, consciousness. Prove to the court that I am sentient. This is absurd. We all know you're sentient. So I am sentient, but Commander Data is not. That's right. Uh Why? Why am I sentient? Well, you are self-aware. Ah, that's the second of your criteria. Let's deal with the first, intelligence. Is Commander Data intelligent? Yes. It has the ability to learn and understand and to cope with new situations. Like this hearing. Yes. What about self-awareness? What does that mean? Why Why am I self-aware? Because you are conscious of your existence and actions.
6: You are aware of yourself and your own ego.
7: Commander Data, what are you doing now?
6: I'm taking part in a legal hearing to determine my rights and status. Am I a person or property?
7: And what's at stake?
6: My right to choose.
1: Perhaps my very life.
7: My rights. My status. My right to choose. My life. Well, it seems reasonably self-aware to me, Commander. Commander. I'm waiting. This is exceedingly difficult. Do you like Commander Data? I... I don't know it well enough to like or dislike it. But you admire him. Oh, yes. It is an extraordinary piece of engineering and programming. Yes, you have said that. Commander, you have devoted your life to the study of cybernetics in general. Yes, And Commander Data in particular? Yes. And now you propose to dismantle him? So that I can learn from it and construct more. How many more? As many as are needed. Hundreds, thousands if necessary. There is no limit. A single Data, and forgive me, Commander, is a curiosity. A wonder even, but thousands of Datas... Is that becoming a race? And won't we be judged by how we treat that race? Now tell me, Commander, what is data? I don't understand. What is he? A machine. Is he? Are you sure? Yes. You see, he's met two of your three criteria for attention, so what if he meets the third? Consciousness in even the smallest degree. What is he then? I don't know. Do you? Do you? To you. Well, that's the question you have to answer. Your Honor, a courtroom is a crucible, and in it we burn away irrelevances until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man, or others like him, will succeed in replicating Commander Data. and the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Waiting. You wanted a chance to make law. Well, here it is. Make it a good one.
0: thoughts
1: outstanding piece richard um i'd love to hear from georgia and rhonda on this before i make any comments
0: he's suddenly shy ladies
1: i'm just giving more vocal time to people that are probably wiser than me that's all
0: (laughs) and diplomatic
1: rhonda
5: well what 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 is it georgia go ahead Yeah. What if we play with a a really out there idea that maybe we're somebody else's A.I. that went
0: rogue? Now, that's a thought. In fact, that gets so close to my outrageous idea that I was saving for the last half hour. Um, Everybody who's in front of a computer, which I presume you all are, look at my item number six. In 1972, the Apollo 17 astronauts landed uh, at about 19.5 degrees north latitude on the moon. And at the base of a large uh, mountain, which really is an ancient, incredibly eroded artificial arcology, in the avalanche of debris that had spewed forth from an opening on the lower levels, which you can see in the photographs as a kind of a white splotch over spreading a little crater called Shorty Crater. They found and photographed on 13 different images that I've been able to locate so far. What looks for all the world like a robot's head compared very favorably to C-3PO from Star Wars, an artificial robotic intelligence, a self-sentient machine. And my question has been for years, a, did they bring it back? We don't know. B, did they try to start talking to it in Houston and other you know, realms of the U.S. government? We don't know. But if they did, if they had a breakthrough, were they smart about it or were they dumb? Did they connect it to Internet linkages, worldwide computers, et cetera, And from the time it regained consciousness after untold millions of years of lying there, dormant, did it somehow take control of our current global society, which is totally based now on computers? Every order, every law, everything results from memos, from a cascade of instructions from a hierarchy and frankly when you look at a piece of paper that says do so and so and show up at such and such a meeting you have no idea in this model whether it originated from your superior or from an AI which is basically invisibly orchestrating almost everything we are seeing in the last decade give or take Reaction from the floor is welcome.
1: I'm happy to say something. <laughs> Good. So didn't Lane in Star Trek put Data's head in the sand or something or bury it for centuries or something in order to solve a problem? No, no,
0: no, no. It, it, it was an accident. <clears throat> he was accident. beheaded under San Francisco and the future generation came back and retrieved him and he was able to encode an answer in binary uh, if someone was smart enough like Geordie to, to look and listen. It was an accident, but it was an accident that turned out to be incredibly provident. And again, about time sequences, things that we do today that have fruit, you know, a thousand years from now, tomorrow.
1: Right. Well, first of all, a big shout out to you, Richard, because you were influential in getting these pictures, weren't you? And influencing NASA to fly by and, and take pictures and things. So a big shout to you for uncovering that mystery of our solar system. Um, so um, I think your, so your question is is basically, um, has this Android that we found influenced the computing revolution and artificial intelligence on Earth? Is is that your question? Yeah, that's that's a tiny question.
0: The other question is, in in my model for a galactic federation on which Gene based his ideas of Star mm-hmm. Trek, one robot is the equivalent of the entire civilization. One robot, one entity can reflect all of the knowledge and history and wisdom created by the entire galactic culture. So everyone becomes a a seed of growth for a new generation of consciousness and so it doesn't take an army, it only takes one. And all you have to do is let it plug itself in, and there is literally zero return from that world it will create. Did they do that and the strange, bizarre universe we're currently living in, I call it the everything all at once model, is it a direct result of somehow AI, a foreign AI intruding in this nursery at this crucial time in our redevelopment?
1: Wow, <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, were we seeded from the stars? The answer is probably yes. Yes, even the pro- answer
0: is un- undoubtedly yes. We're part yes, of a much right. bigger human family.
1: Yeah, so, so, so even, even I think the scientists and big science agrees with that. Um,
0: well, not quite. They're thinking aliens and humans, and I'm thinking that the human model, the template, is a hyperdimensional template and that's why mm-hmm. the search for other planets like Earth is going to, I mean, we're already seeing it on Mars. Remember, mm-hmm. several decades ago, I found a, uh, um, um, oh, what's the name of that? It's not a trilobite. It's in the, in the same category on Mars. Mm-hmm. And NASA ordered its robot to grind it to dust on live television, which indicates oh. either transmission of life from Earth to Mars at some point or independent appearance of the forms the the templates of life wherever there is an appropriate environment with temperature water etc etc in other words the recreation of life again and again and again from a higher source which is not modeled in the uh, darwinian survival of the fittest
1: yeah so I, i certainly agree with that analogy i think you're absolutely right on that i think if we are being controlled by um let's just say a nefarious artificial intelligence then i believe in the brilliance of the human spirits i believe in the brilliance of the potential of who we are as a species and it may well be a training ground for us to uh, be encouraged to break free into new frontiers to kind of star trek here into new frontiers um of who we are as a species so it may well be here as a training ground i, I don't know what you think about that theory
0: I'm willing to entertain almost anything because I've actually seen some evidence that things are not as they are being represented. And it's because of our failure to properly think outside the box. Because if I'm right about the prison model, we're in a box. And the question then is, how do we get out of the box? And if we need help, either we create it or we create the tools to penetrate the dimensions like Barry one and we reinstate our hailing frequencies with the larger reality.
1: Right. Well, maybe this is an invitation for us to uh, uncover the power of the divinity that we hold. Um, And, you know, we can access universal knowledge, we can access um, 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 technologies from the universal field of intelligence and bring them into the third dimension to innovate beyond where we are today. So if we're going to um, consider your imprisonment model, I would like to, my view is it's a training ground for us to basically go within in order to break out. Hmm.
5: I agree with Matthew on that one. Uh, The esoteric model is that in a previous uh, civilization of humanity that uh, there was a time when the gods walk the earth when higher spiritual beings were in physical appearance and interacted with humanity. And then because of certain things too long to go into humanity broke that connection or that connection was broken. The connection is called the antikarana or that link in consciousness between soul and uh, personality. But since that time we've forgotten who we are as souls and we've lived our lives as if we were this matter and now we're in a time where that exile is about to end and that enter is being rewoven.
0: Hmm. Rhonda?
2: Um I love I really love listening to that clip. Um it makes you think uh you know art imitating life or is life imitating art exactly like if yes technology, you know is is um the ai imitating life or is life being guided already um and has been by the technology and you know who is and what is that invisible hand if if you know if there is one there um, you know, I struggled with this when I was studying economics and, um, you know, believing that self-interest will in turn lead to public interest. Because I think a lot of what we talked about today, um, you know, identified some of the challenges around the development we were seeing in te- with technology. But um, I do think ultimately we are being guided by um, something that is, you know, uh, a higher vibration. Um, I'm sure that Georgia could put it into much better terms and that, you know, we do have to look within to be able to get back to that inner compass so that we can utilize the technology for its good, for humanity.
5: And that gets us back to what Matthew was talking about—that divine spark, which the Greeks called the monad, that is our true identity at our core.
1: Matthew, I'm just enjoying listening to Georgia and <laughs> uh, you Wonder. Know, it's nice just to see one <laughs> of
0: one of my my, of my 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 you know radar guardrails, whatever you want to call it. Has been. I've been having some really, I don't even know how to characterize this bizarre experiences with the unknown over the last half half decade, five years, and I keep running them by Georgia, and she says, "I've never heard of that. I've never talked to anybody. I've never." Re-. In other words, I'm having this incredible, unique, bizarre experience that I can't use as evidence of anything. And yet there are large swaths of it which are at loggerheads with standard texts, traditions, beliefs, both, you know, 3D and 4D and beyond. And that raises in me incredibly profound questions about who's running our reality. And
2: and that's why I started to lose faith in, in economic models. And I moved more towards policy and then back to technology policy. Um, because I think that to to matthew's point the sort of the the models that we've been taught they're in, they're bad, they're incomplete
0: well, the economics we're living under now is the economics of scarcity of 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 you know one individual entropically right, against the is- other, but in a world which is going on upstairs tonight where infinity suddenly becomes. You know, directable, serviceable in service to humankind, all that old economics absolutely goes away, but our in, in great in, no our, our deeply in, in, ingrained habits of a world of scarcity versus a world of plenty is, the, is is not keeping up. So let me ask a practical question, Rhonda. Do you know on Capitol Hill? Uh, Either as part of the um, committee that uh, Senator Blumenthal so brilliantly, you know, chaired on AI, where he literally introduced, you know, the public to the idea that there was a, a entity which could basically simulate every nuance, including what he wrote, that could not be distinguished from him.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I missed that Are
0: question. there other groups on Capitol Hill looking at legislation that will go more toward the, you know, Matthew uh Georgia model as opposed to the strictly high-tech make money uh um, you know, Google model?
2: See, the the issue um I mean, I think you know the way Washington works is that the they're they're lobbyists <laughs> that have um, descended to wash around Washington and around, around all the the legislators, and you can you know I saw this with privacy for many years, um, even at my old law firm. You know we were representing um, uh, the, the privacy interests of um, you know the large corporations and. You know, eventually they broke off to a separate council. Um, The voices that I think that are the loudest are those that have the means to be able to um, reach the legislators. And they may not be um, the folks that, you know, we're talking about, um, that we're working with. I don't know that they have organized. But one of the cool things about AI is that it is democratizing it all. And uh, there's a you know, number of really new organizations that are looking to use AI. And one, one that I've um, been working with the past few months is called Legislative Llama to sort of democratize the way that legislation is made at the local and federal mm. level. By helping the average citizen have a have a stronger voice, and also being able to identify for those senators and congressmen who is, are these messages actually coming from, so that they could pay closer attention than just um, they're you know they're bombarded by the folks who can afford the office on K Street, can mm. afford from lawyers, and you know. They, have, they serve a purpose, too, right? They've been very helpful with crafting all the legislation that what they wind up introducing. But I've seen AI now used in, in ways that can help democratize that process. Because I, I still have a place in D.C., but I haven't, since COVID, focused much more locally in New York. Um, there are a few members here. Um, Assemblyman Clyde Vanel is one that really, because he had an non- he had a background as a as an attorney working with tech companies, and now as a legislator, he's really been able to I think be um, sort of an interlocutor between tech and and government. Um, like I said, there are not enough folks out there, so what winds up happening is that they rely a lot on the lobbyists that are able to that are that are you know there every day, um, walking the halls. I don't know that what we're talking about has yet reached, and this is one, of, again, one of the reasons why we created the Smart Cities Caucus, um, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, um, Daryl Issa, they um, spend a lot of time trying to, you know, speak to, um, you know, a, a more diverse and group of of people that are interested in technology, including some of these watchdog think tanks. But I really don't know that um, that there has been any sort of organization around really looking at it from the way that we're talking about it today.
0: Well, what better time to start one than now? And if and we wanted to, how would we do it?
2: We'd have to somehow fund it.
0: So it all comes down to money.
2: Well, a lot of it does come down to money, but again, AI well, wait, wait, be- wait,
0: wait, wait. There is a, there's a huge <laughs> swath of citizens who were involved. I'm sorry, Ron. There were two swaths of citizens involved in the uh, January 6th problem that literally used their own resources, their own computers, their own search of Yahoo and YouTube and all that. And they have represented a huge citizen based reaction to finding The people who tried to kill the country on the 6th of January and it's it's not funded locally or federally or or you know uh, corporately it's a grassroots effort and I don't know much about it other than there's one guy who's written a book about it which we should probably read but it seems to me that model a grassroots response to the system using the very technology which is in question would be a useful model to follow
2: I
1: agree. So, just to go back, this is why...
0: Okay, we got about four minutes, so formulate where you want to go next on this when we do another show, because I'm going to pick Rhonda's brains about who on Capitol Hill would be someone we should put in the uh, hot seat, used
1: euphemistically,
0: to talk about where are we practically right now, what's going
1: on, and where should
0: we look to exert pressure points?
1: Yeah, so this is why I launched the World 3 movement to do exactly what we're talking about. And um, I do plan to write to uh, some of the senators uh, about uh, World 3 and and talk about this opportunity to develop a new vision for the United States. Um, So, um, you know, that's why I've launched World 3. Um, But um, over to you, Richard.
0: Oh good heavens. Uh, Georgia thoughts.
5: Well, to wind up tonight, I think that humanity is on the verge of a tremendous opening on a lot of different levels and the whole AI question is just one facet of this adventure.
0: Well, it's certainly moving very very fast and, you know, we've we've kind of not really looked into the details of what's going to happen in terms of this election, but it seems to me that what's going to happen in this election is going to determine a lot of people's perception of AI for either good or evil. And again, I just get that feeling that the fear porn around it is being spread by people who do not want it to assist in humanity's uplift, but rather in its control.
1: Yeah, and this year 49% of the world is voting in elections. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's 3.8 billion people are going to be voting on what the next four years of their nation and the world looks like. So it's a critical year. And so we want people to vote well, vote for freedom, <laughs> vote for thriving.
5: <laughs> if, if we are going to err, err on the side of expansion and inclusion and wealth.
0: Here, here. I want to thank my guests tonight, Matthew Bailey and Rhonda Binda and Georgia Lambert for a really synoptic conversation. This, of course, is not the end, it's the beginning. Now, tomorrow night, we're going to spend three hours with Tim Ventura and with um, uh, some other pop-ins, you know, who knows who might show up in that third hour, to talk about this extraordinary revolution with Barry one going on upstairs and all the other uh, copycats kind of waiting in the wings and how it's going to expand, how it's going to be citizen-based, how it's gonna make possible such individual uh, space programs as you could not imagine, even five years ago, let alone 70 years ago at the beginning of the the space age. So that's tomorrow night on the same, you know, (laughs) that channel, the other side of midnight, If you want to, you know, get your friends involved in the conversation, you know, have them join Club 19.5. They will have access to tonight's program and literally thousands of hours devoted to all of these diverse subjects that we've done in the last, I I, I can't believe it's like all coming up on seven tetrahedral years. Absolutely amazing. So again, thank you to my guests, a foreshadowing of tomorrow night. Where we're going to talk about the kind of universe where humanity with this hyperdimensional link once again can take to the floor so until tomorrow night same time same bad channel remember third star on the left straight on till morning good night everyone